0: Jingle, bells, Santa smells, Rudolph laid an egg. Yes, it's the Christmas episode. It's Christmas. (laughs) Um, We will put some music in at this point, but we don't have any copyrights uh, uh, allowance to use that. So we won't. But you could sing if you want, Phil. But Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. No, no. And the same goes with me as well. Um, My wife has enough of that when I'm singing around the house. Um, She keeps telling me to stop doing it or else she'll divorce me, which... Suggest that my singing voice isn't that great, <laughs> although I'm just generally annoyed. I've heard you
1: sing at the football, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's different... say. <laughs> yeah, I say. say. I am, um, yes, with a Christmas jumper as well, just to get into the festivities. I'm starting to feel in the Christmas spirit now. Yes, yeah, to...
1: definitely. I've got I'm a couple not... more days of work before the Christmas break starts. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, absolutely... I'm, I'm, I'm on the December diet that started about a week ago of alcohol every single day. <laughs> so, yeah, it must be, mustn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm sure you're not doing that tonight, though, Phil. I'm sure you're not
1: drinking. Oh, I am. I'm already on. The, I'm, I'm on the Neon Dream, which is a Brewdog tropical wheat beer. It's not bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, And Heathen Club, um,
0: it's a Northern Monk brewery one. Heathen oh, Club cool. Clubhouse Hazy Pale, four point six, and a uh, rather natty tin, which no one listening can can see, but uh, yeah, in oh, oh, fact very it's nice. blurry on the screen. But yeah, quite a cool, cool tin. Yeah, not bad. Northern Monk, you can't go wrong, really. Um, you know. Um, they're religiously good about their beers or something like that anyway this christmas jumper is um speaking of alcoholic themes I don't, i'm not into big on christmas jumpers but you
1: said you might be wearing one so I'll pop i one. did and then i forgot <laughs> i was going on? to wear my viking Valhalla hallelujah one or whatever it was, it was hallelujah. hallelujah or whatever i can't remember what it is but <laughs> i completely brilliant. forgot
0: <laughs> yeah mine mine is gin themed uh, last christmas in or run up to christmas in harrogate we were there for the weekend and. Uh, yeah I was getting some gin there, so I thought might as well I'll get a, a, an accessory as well so I've got a, a jumper one on there as well. very festive. I'll take you very much yeah, Right, yeah.
1: Sant- well the Santa's little elves incarnate
0: <laughs> yes <little> elves. exactly <laughs> right yes, it's the Christmas episode we haven't done this before we've this is our third, no. well, third Christmas time or thereabouts yes the episode, and we've not we've not thought to. well I think we just skipped it because it was too obvious. We thought <laughs> well I'll have to get round to it eventually
1: and yeah you know, yeah definitely. And gentlemen
0: yeah so phil you are as customer, you're gonna do your intro to start off and then yeah just a
1: few bits off. before we go in so obviously it's it's a it's a genre that's been around for a very very long time. many Christmas stories have been adapted to movies um but also t v specials um all my films have had a cinematic release. I'm not big on the christmas t v movie the networks such as Hallmark they produce um about 40 new, Hallmark on its own produces about 40 new Christmas films every year. But I looked up on the INDB, they're up to something like 432 Christmas films now, that all have slightly different variations of identical plots and themes. That's not the sort of Christmas film that I will be going into uh, this evening.
0: Same here. I hasten to... It's
1: difficult to um, decide on the criteria of what constitutes Christmas film. Obviously, Die Hard is the classics example. I've removed a number of films from contention for not being quite Christmassy enough. So these yeah. are films that could be Christmassy or Christmas films in theory, but I've kind of left off my list. So here we go. Batman Returns, Brazil, Carol... Edward Scissorhands, Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> i never see that as a Christmas film, but you know, <laughs> it passes some of the criteria. Um, Harry Potter, The Lion in Winter, In Bruges, L.A. Confidential, Mr. Chris, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, The Apartment, The Princess Bride, The Knight of the Hunter, Rocky oh. Four, Donnie yeah. Brasco, Jurassic World rambo first blood and any film by shane black i love shane black films so if you're not aware he's um he did, he's a sort of screenwriter that did, he's he's in predator as an actor but he's a screenwriter that did lethal weapon and long kiss Goodnight and kiss kiss bang bang and the last boy scout all of his films are set at christmas but they're not really that christmassy yeah. so i've i've left those off the list
0: yeah. I was going to add um, any other ones that I came to. You've actually, since you sent me your list originally, mm-hmm. as we started preparations, you've clearly added bits, which I yeah. have also added to the list, namely Night of the Hunter and Carol. Night of the Hunter only come up in conversation today, actually. My wife said, oh, there's the Night of the Hunter. We've got to include Brilliant that
1: film, not a Christmas
0: Brilliant, film. Not a Christmas film. There is a Christmas scene. And this is the thing, it depends on if that's an incidental scene. I mean, Batman, uh, to be honest with you, Batman Returns and Jurassic World and a couple of the other ones you mentioned, I didn't even know they had scenes in featuring Christmas at all. Okay. So that says uh, says it all, doesn't it? It's also interesting that uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, that has Christmas in the title, has been excluded. It's not that
1: Christmassy, though, <laughs> is it?
0: No. Um, I should say I concur with all of that list. Okay, uh, brilliant.
1: So sure. I have a theory on Christmas films, which yeah. we will see where- – how this pans out tonight i think everyone's favorite christmas films are films that they saw as a kid yeah and i don't think that they will that you will have very much in the way of new or more recent uh, uh, unlike any other genre you can mention i think christmas films you see these films up until the age of 15 and yeah. um, they, then your top christmas films for life are pretty much set in stone we, we will see how this pans out
0: yeah, I think that might broadly work um, quite a bit on my my count as well. Um, there's a, a furious debate about what's included, what's not. I mean, to everyone listening and anyone that's sent in their um, contributions, which we'll read out later, it is a, a personalised... Yeah, exactly. You can make it what you want. I think it sounds like you and I have got pretty similar perspectives on what this will be yeah. by chance. It might have been more fun if we've been arguing, but I want to go along the same lines. So films like, uh, for example, Die Hard, which is not very, not very Christmassy in... In uh, nature, but is set very distinctly at, around Christmas time, can be included in certainly in my I, I I have,
1: a, <laughs> I think, Die Hard is able to be included. um un- i we'll- at Christmas, um yeah. quite a lot of cinemas put on Christmas films, and they mm. always put Die Hard on. Mm. Um, it's got the Run DMC song "Christmas in Hollis," which is now seen as a kind of Christmas f- track. That's on all the Christmas albums. That's the theme tune to the mm. film. Yeah. It, it, even in the original script form, it's always been. It has to be set at Christmas. Bruce with his wife in it. It's called Holly. Yeah. You know, the, like, it passes the. I te- think it passes the, the test. And I know
0: someone, a friend of mine, Chris, who you've not met, um, is furiously <laughs> disagrees, which is going to be fun. So if you are listening, Christmas, I think you will be sorry about that Chris but we yeah. might be considering it might not make our top fives of course but yeah. just in terms of it was con- under consideration
1: yeah the That's other the, thing to mention is that um yeah um some some of these films I've I've have, have gone a slightly up higher the list than they would be a, in terms of as a film because it's a bit more Christmassy if that makes sense yeah the the more Christmassy it is that the higher it will go up the list so there might be My number two, I prefer as a film to my number one, but my number one is a lot more Christmassy than my number two. So,
0: (laughs) I think you've just given something away there. Yeah, yeah. but I am, yeah, I'm kind of on the same track, maybe less so. But I've taken, I try to factor that in somehow, make some sort of, I don't know, some algorithm in my head of (laughs) proportional. uh, relevance and kind of like consideration but anyway that's that's that so yeah that's that's the criteria um my turn to start this week isn't it yes without without any further ado i think we'll crack straight on with uh my number five then and it's one actually that you asked you said you were gonna have to check to to remember how Christmassy it might be um it's uh an 80s classic it's trading places
1: oh i love trading places it's a great i watched it i watched it again last week or week before yeah. um it's not aged well in the political correctness
2: yes world. Um, this
1: is a film that has very racial language yeah. um it has danak with black facing it has guerrilla rape um it has um female nudity for no reason whatsoever as part of the film but because it was the 80s um if you're a particularly woke person you will not like this film (laughs) there's nothing that we could say that will Mm. make you think about it i forgot how bad some of these 80s films got Yes, but ultimately i love trading places (laughs) i don't think that makes me a bad person it's brilliant
0: no, you're, you're absolutely right on all the things you just mentioned. And I've had to take that into account. But in the end, I thought it's about, um, firstly, at the time I saw it, which would have been, yeah, yeah as a kid, originally, uh, well, certainly, as, as, as well, What was it 1983? I, I can't remember if I saw it at the cinema, but I would have seen it r- roughly uh, soon after release. So I would have been probably about 12. I doubt you'd have seen
1: it in the cinema. I'm pretty sure it would have been a 15.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. That's- I was about probably 13 maybe 14 when i saw this. Um hugely entertaining it's a great fun
1: film. Oh it's brilliant. My wife watched it with me she'd never seen it before and she took issue with a couple of bits but still right. absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah. I think <laughs> that's it it transcends the inappropriateness i think Yes. You have to take that into account obviously not
1: when certainly not in in, in, in 2020 um Sky TV picked 16 films that um that they had to put a disclaimer in front of on their movie channel saying this film has outdated attitudes, language, and cultural depictions which may cause offence today. And then mm-hmm. that done, and then you're into the film and it's all good from there. I much rather they do that than the rolled doll thing when they are you know cutting it or something like that. Disclaimer at the beginning, that's fine. Everybody knows where they are. Let's yeah. watch the film.
0: So a you can avoid watching it if you think you'll be offended, yeah. and b. You're ready for whatever comes if you are willing to give it a go, which I think is fine. Um, yeah, I mean, this has got. I mean, first of all, when you said, "Oh, I can't remember how Christmassy this was," and I, I remember there was definitely—it's very Christmassy. Yeah. It's actually very Christmassy. Yeah, you've got um, it's set around Christmas time, broadly speaking. You've got um, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy as the counter kind of the counterpoints, and then you've got um, these two aging well, they're bankers, aren't they? They're high flying, yeah. rich, very affluent. And slightly bored guys who make a wager not dissimilar to My Fair Lady, you know, or we yeah. can get the girl to speak um more poshly and to lose a yes. flower seller vibe. In a similar way they've although that's not a Christmas film, but um, in a similar way they've um they've they picked Eddie Murphy off the street as a as a, he's a homeless uh, as a, he's a homeless uh, yeah. guy he's a, a bit of a con man as well he tries to dupe people into giving him money under false pretenses faking the loss of legs at one point in a hilarious scene all that sort of stuff these two rich guys discover him make a wager to say they could make essentially a man out of him in a, a totally different way and pass him off to be the um, yeah. well, sort of the up and coming generation of them essentially isn't it whereas um, Dan Aykroyd who is with the company and all the rest of it or is it I can't remember the exact was a while ago yeah. I saw it, actually. he's
1: been he's been brought up with the, the silver spoon in his mouth yeah. yeah his whole life mapped out before him yeah, yeah.
0: and he, and that way the side of the wager is to see if he can cope with being destitute and eventually things turn around uh, the two younger guys sort of clock each other and what's going on and they stitch up the older guys that's the general premise yeah um, there's a lot of snow. There's a lot of scenery around Christmas. There's a scene, a famous scene, where Dan Aykroyd ends up during one of his destitute moments, dressed as Santa, yeah. in his horrendously like, greyed and dirty Santa outfit, almost looking like a precursor to bad Santa. Yes, a <laughs> isn't it? Um, it's it's fun. It's a typical '80s film. Eddie Murphy was at the height of his powers in well, the. Well, I, I, he wasn't of those, wasn't it? He was only about
1: twenty-one when they made this film. I watched that uh, Eddie Murphy Christmas film last week that wasn't that great, called Mm. Candy Cane Lane, and I looked at it and thought, he doesn't, you know, in the last forty years, he hasn't aged a great deal. No, Um, um, Eddie Murphy. um, So this was actually only his second film; he'd only done Forty Eight Hours at that point.
0: Yeah. So, um, this was the beginning of his, yeah, sorry, I should yeah. have said the beginning of his rise. And then you got Beverly Hills Cop and all, all the rest it's, of it. Yeah, we're yeah.
1: we getting a new Beverly Hills Cop film next year. Can you believe that? Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Not sure well, how I feel about that, but they could probably set it in the 80s, seeing as Eddie Murphy hasn't aged. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, uh, hugely enjoyable, good fun. And I think it had a that whole notion of like people changing places or changing who they are.
1: It was a real um, 80s concept, wasn't it? Like big and stuff like
0: that, yeah. yeah. Body swap stuff as well. But also quite a Christmassy thing because yeah. you look at um, changing philosophies, perspectives, A Christmas Carol, the classic, Dickensian tale, the book, various films, various plays, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, and musicals as well. That, um, that's about a guy who changes or, or fi- finds goodness out of misery, uh, being a miserable bastard. And... Yeah. Um, you've got oh, there's different things to this obviously but you've got that notion of a change happening you've got it and it's a wonderful life you've got it in loads of other kind of christmasy type of films um so it's kind of like uh, it fits the bill in that sense as well with the story the flavor to the story a little bit i think obviously the fact is set yeah this as well
1: yeah. yeah so um a little bit about the history of this film so it's um directed by john landis who did a lot of the- these kind of 80s films so the screenplay is by timothy harris and herschel weingrod so um i think harris he actually met two wealthy brothers um who had an ongoing rivalry uh, in the early 80s um, and him and his writing partner decided so they were going to develop that as an idea believe it or not as a richard Pryor and gene wilder movie so this was how the film was sort of specifically written to them unfortunately then um Richard Pryor, who was having some personal problems at the time, Um, he was seriously injured after he set himself on fire whilst freebasing on cocaine and he wasn't able to make films for a little while. So they were having a look around about who to cast instead. So Ackroyd, um, who'd worked with Landis before and the Blues Brothers, so he was kind of in. Murphy was the kind of the wild card who was being brought in. He was the, he was the young star who, uh, who they envisaged was going to have a bright future and obviously did. We also have Jamie Lee Curtis as Dan Aykroyd's love interest. Now, yeah. the studio really didn't want her um, because she was famous for horror films and at that time horror films were, were, were kind of video nasties. They were really looked down on them, like, why do you want her? But she's absolutely brilliant in this um, and then her career took off after that. She managed to make films like Physical Wonder etc. that she wouldn't have got if they hadn't taken a chance on her on this um Ralph Bellamy and Don play the uh, the Duke brothers Randolph and Mortimer and we've got Denholm Elliott as obviously the uh the butler um, oh yeah they, they they originally auditioned um John Gilgood and Ronnie Barker for for that particular role but at that time Ronnie Barker had a rule that he would not work more than 7 miles from his house in in the UK oh so, blimey so we've got Marcus Brody of Indiana Jones fame uh, in Den who's made a lot of other excellent films. He came in and plays the butler's role. And he's the kind of counterpoint to everything, all the craziness that's going around. He he's a, he sort of brings it back a little bit and sort of dials it in a bit. And he's a really good foil, I think, for, it, for, for everybody else. I think there was a lot of uh, improvisation ad-libs. I think although Eddie Murphy was really, really young, he was a young hip cool black guy who was given a script written by a load of white men so he i think he re- rewrote all of his own lines and made it a lot more uh streetwise and i you know you can imagine imagine that happening um it got uh two oscar nominations so it lost out on best musical or comedy to yentl and uh eddie murphy lost out on best musical comedy actor to uh, michael Caine in educating Meter, yeah. but just it's yeah. yeah, it's um, it, it's a brilliant film. Some of the set pieces in it are absolutely mad. And if you start to explain them, you just realise how the bits on the train, the bits of the commodity exchange, in yeah. prison, every all the all the all the bits are going on. You're kind of, all, it's one of these films that almost moves from one classic scene to another, which the best kind of comedy films yeah. films do. um Elmer Bernstein was, did the score. He'd already collaborated with um, Landis. Um, he did sort of different arrangements, and the music works. It's kind of, it's not quite so noticeable in this, but when you think about it, it, it he has he has different um, arrangements it, throughout the whole score to kind of match the different uh, emotions of the scenes, and it's really, really well done. Um, yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant film. The um, the, the commodity exchange at the end um apparently that was filmed at the world trade center on a real commodity exchange um and they they actually had to get the real sort of dealers to kind of dial it down a bit and not be as violent as they usually are apparently which is mad when you imagine yeah i i mean uh,
0: 1983 is the year of the film by the way i don't that. i've got to say yeah it's the fourth
1: highest grossing film of 1983 behind Return of the Jedi, Terms of Endearment, dance. Not so bad.
0: It really is, as you said, there's classic scene after classic scene. It really is a movie classic. It's one of the seminal, there's plenty of them, but one of the seminal films of the 80s. I think that was the era for comedies for me, 80s, I think, despite the inappropriateness of some of what's, what's uh, now been looked back on. And, um, there were a lot of good comedies. And Eddie Murphy yeah. said it went on to be at the heart of a lot of it. But what I love about this as well, and obviously it's, they needed a couple of old actors to fill the roles, but Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy are two really great old hands. Who... Yeah, I
1: mean, Don Amici at that time wasn't working. and Everyone thought he was dead. Yeah. And then they had to hunt him down. And they, they found out, oh, no, I just haven't been off any rules. I moved house and I didn't have an agent. So no one's offered me anything. Oh, right. Yeah, I'll come and do it. That's a little bit Tarantino, isn't it? You know, he likes yeah.
0: discovering old actors. Well, not discovering, but rediscovering old actors. It's almost a bit of that. And Ralph Bellamy, of, Bellamy, of course, is um, is famous for loads of those kind of, those stooge roles where he's a, yeah. a, an afflu- affluent, Southern American, oil-rich um, son heir to a fortune buffoon uh, character who's popped up in things like His Girl Friday. And he's, he's brilliant in loads of screwball roles. And it, it took oh, many, many, many years. This is right?
1: a comedy. Yeah, this is they, as well. A yeah. lot of the critics at the time likened it to the screwball comedies of the '30s and '40s, with this sort of preposterous, sort of like, idea that just they just keep building on and building on and building. That's on. real
0: fast-paced dialogue and all the rest of it. But yeah, but with Ralph Bellamy, what was interesting was I I um I saw this film before I saw any of his early works. Yeah, eventually started watching a load of black and white classics in the 40s and I hadn't made the connection until much later and eventually realized oh that's the guy in trading places yeah yeah and, uh, I knew he looked familiar and it was bugging me why I, I felt like I'd seen him before and it was of course I'd seen him as a sort of 40 year older guy um, yeah but, but those two are brilliant aren't they they are like those almost Dickensian or almost like the Robert Marley and Christmas Carol type of characters yeah Aging guys. They, that, that, yeah, so
1: they play the two brothers who become homeless and destitute at the end. Yeah. Then a couple of years later, another 80s comedy film, that is similarly politically incorrect, Coming to America, also yes. Eddie Murphy came out. And uh, in in that film, they play the same characters in a kind of cameo yes. towards the end, yes. where yes. Prince yeah. Hakeem finds them and gives them a load of money to kind of get, get started again. strictly speaking coming to america is is a sequel to trading places it does share a lot of the same dna i think as well
0: i love those little nods don't because it doesn't matter you probably if you're watching it without knowing about trading places you'd probably think there's obviously a reference to something here but oh well never mind but if you do know it it's it's oh that's brilliant chucking those characters in again yeah great stuff good fun um as you said brilliant performances and incidentally denham Elliott, too i think is a fantastic actor he's amazing um he's, he's good in everything he just he he's got yeah. that wiry kind of gravelly but somehow upper class sort of vibe yeah. to, him, or, or, or middle class vibe to him which uh, he brings to a load of roles there's a film which hasn't made my top five but it's called the holly and the ivy which is a british film um it's very british in the night in 1951 it's that kind of thing yeah. Yeah, black and white, good cast, really well casted, brilliantly structured, good film, loads of good good little characters and details. It's very polished and on point. And Denham Elliott plays, obviously, a much younger guy, 1951, plays... Uh, one of the sons of this family that's just gravitated back for Christmas. Uh, it's worth seeing, actually. It's a good film, The Holly and the Ivy, nineteen fifty. I've heard of it. Um, but Denim Elliot, yeah, it's kind of yeah. it's, it's really good in those older roles. Again, it's good discovering him as a yeah. young guy as well. Um, but anyway, yeah, on Trading Places, I have no more to say other than… Brilliant. I heartily I agree. I forgive it. It's um, it's, it's uh, a product uh,
1: of its time, yeah. and uh, you know, and it is still incredibly funny if you can excuse, you know, yeah, Some of it, some of its 80s eccentricities. We, we, well, we, we, we're growing exactly. up here. Now, about. Phil, I'm guessing, despite the
0: fact you said you love it, I'm guessing it's not in your top five because you would have flagged up where it is in your top five at this
1: point. It well, may be coming up later.
0: Oh, okay. You're keeping off. Your, it's not you're, my number
1: five. No, it's not your number five. Well, what is your number five, Phil? So um, because I knew we'd be talking about lots of films from the 80s and earlier, I thought I'd better have one new film on in it. Um, And I do think, I do think this is a, I've got one film, this is from 2019. And I believe this is a genuine Christmas classic. And I'm probably, I'm expecting you to probably not even, even seen it. Uh, I'm going for the Netflix film, Klaus. Have you seen that? It's an animated film. I, do you know what? I've actually
0: had that on my list my well, Netflix it's list brilliant. for a couple of years, and yeah. I didn't notice it in my list when I was doing a little study for this. I've not seen it, no. So I
1: have to. Oh, to... I'll tell you a bit about it. So um it's a it's a so a simple act of kindness uh, always sparks another, even in a frozen, far away place. So when smerenberg's new postman Jesper befriends toy maker Klaus, their gifts melt an aged feud between sort of two rival families. And deliver a sleigh full of holiday traditions so essentially it's a father christmas origin story but it's not disney um so after setting up his own animation studio spa studios uh, in madrid uh, spanish french director sergio pablos who had worked on disney's hunchback and notre dame hercules tarzan and he'd also created despicable me and minions franchises he decided he wanted to set up his own animation studio um, and he wanted to explore how animation would have gone if computers hadn't come along like they did. So he wanted to think how, how, how yeah Western animation would have evolved if if studios hadn't moved in the 90s to producing computer films. So he brought along James Baxter, a Disney animator, Beauty and the Beast, to come along and work along. So they set their own studio up. This was their first project. They started... Uh, releasing teasers for it in 2012 looking for investment it got shopped around all the studios turned it down in the end Netflix picked it up um and it's just a really really it's a really good film you can watch with your kids it's also got something in it for adults it's a really it's a it's not completely fluffy and throwaway and cute and makes you want to be sick and cheesy it's a really genuinely good I mean it's got 95% on Rotten Tomatoes it's a really good Christmas film if you want to sit down with your kids and watch a cartoon and you think I'm not watching a Disney one um, we've (laughs) all been there Um, this is absolutely brilliant it ticks all the boxes it's beautifully animated it looks incredible it's a really nice story Uh, it's a it's an instant Christmas classic um, for me it was Oscar nominated it didn't actually win um, it was given an Oscar run, uh, qualifying run in cinemas, um, but it's mainly been shown on Netflix. Um, it's got Jason Schwartzman the, doing the voices, B. Johansson, the postman, and J.K. Simmons is doing Klaus. I think he does some of the other voices as well. Um, it's just a really, really nice, uh, Christmas cartoon that I heartily recommend if you're in the mood for something festive, a bit childish, but not in disney suite
0: because yeah. i can't be doing with saccharine disney suites but no. a good, honest hearty family film um, i don't have kids um but just and the missus but i'll quite happily watch those kind of yeah. things. I'm just ashamed i haven't seen it yet to be honest yeah
1: There's... no so i mean it's the only film so far SBA studios have done i think they're currently working on a prehistoric epic called ember for disney for netflix rather so i imagine that'll be out and i think they spend sort of like pixar a few years on each film so they're currently working on that. But yeah, I very much recommend it. This is the only more recent film off film post nineteen eighties that is going to come up on my list. Um it, it it's brilliant and it does everything you want from a Christmas film. Well, i think I said, isn't
0: it? Rounded films. That really hit the mark i think that's what it's all about i'd be mean, out of quest- out of interest the qu- one question for you, you said there in your uh your description of it or just before you said your description of it that um you had to put something newer in i mean honestly is this your number f- number five yeah, i was
1: tight ty- yeah. i was, so I
0: was,
1: that's- I was trying, i've been choosing literally all day between this and another kind of 1940s christmas classic and i went for that in the end oh i think the night no- the other 1940s one i think i might know what that is Miracle on 34th Street. I, I, was, I was choosing between ah, the two of right. them, of which to be put in sixth and which to put in, in fifth.
0: And yeah, I thought, two... you know what,
1: I'll, I'll give Klaus the nods because otherwise it's a lot of really old films. And uh, so, yeah, and, the... and, and, and I genuinely enjoy Klaus more, I think.
0: Yeah. There's two 1940s films I thought it might be. That was the one I suspected more likely. Um, we'll come to that in honourable mentions later. But there's two that missed out. Uh, and that was one of them, one of mine, yeah yeah okay but yeah um i have to i, I say i haven't seen yeah. it i just need oh, to if you want
1: to watch a good christmas film to feel festive on christmas yeah. eve with a bottle of wine yeah That's give it a one. go
0: I've, I've had that on my list, as I said, a couple of years, and I've got one or two other things. So there's a short film, Robin, Robin, and there's some, something else, some animated film, I can't remember what it is, which I've been meaning to see, and I, I'm planning to catch up with those this, this Christmas yeah. anyway. can't believe I forgot about it in the run-up to doing this, but um, I might have to revise my top five. Who knows? Okay. So we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, that's that. So, yes, that's your Back number to you five. for number four. Yeah, so number four. I, I had number six just missing out, and at number four, two versions of the same story—the most famous of all Christmas stories, a Christmas Carol, yeah. which will be referenced. Um, one of them uh, just missed out, and the other one is in at number four. Before I reveal which, um out of interest. Can you guess which one it might be? Or you may not know. You might be choosing from more than two here because you know see
1: which... my favorite version ever of Christmas Carol is Black Addis Christmas Carol, but that's not a film, so we can't really include <laughs> that. Yeah. My favourite kind of film version of it that isn't It's a Wonderful Life. Um, is probably Scrooged, the uh, Bill Murray film from the eighties. Ah,
0: right. Well, neither of them are that film. I actually think Scrooged is overrated. I don't I don't hate it, but I don't I just don't think it's anywhere near as good as people think. We're gonna have to have an argument about that. I,
1: I, I do like it and it is good. <laughs> Bill Murray gets a pass for a lot of things because he's Bill Murray and everybody just loves like, – um, he's like kind of the Captain Jack Sparrow in the Pirates. Pirates of Caribbean films are terrible, but people like them because Captain Jack Sparrow's in them. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray can be in some terrible films, but people will still like it because it's got Bill Murray in it. And Bill Murray just does
0: Bill Murray. And he, he just, just does, does Bill Murray. And that's because what people want to see there.
1: is Bill Murray because watching Bill Murray is
0: brilliant. Just it's dr- stand, dr- standing there drolly – Stony face, but with a little glint behind the eyes, that's yeah Bill, I mean. exactly that's making time. quips, Yeah. not sure he's a great actor, but he does bring a presence to films. I'm not over keen on that version. The version that missed out and finished at number six was a Christmas carol nineteen fifty one which is the abster sim version, which is a a steady traditional um adaptation of the of the book um and it's great, I think it's really solid, good acting the whole way through abster yeah. sim's perfect as um as Scrooge uh, he's just got that little kind of playful menace in his voice which is just fits the yeah. bill of that type of character Ebenezer Scrooge. But the other one, of course, it's a the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh I four. love the
1: Muppet Christmas
0: Carol. Yeah.
1: Michael It Caine. is brilliant. It didn't quite it was like my number seven or something. Yeah. Yeah. it's it, it, I mean, is brilliant. It's, it's a classic
0: nineteen ninety two. Um Michael Cain. Michael Caine is pretty much the only um, human actor in this. And, of course, you've yeah. got a number of stunning actors who are not quite real. Uh, Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy in a number of roles, I think, um, and various others. You've got
1: Frank Oz doing the voices, who was in Trading Places at the beginning. Yeah, of course. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. So there's a bit of a theme going on with mine here, isn't there? <laughs> but, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's a um, a pop musical, um, sort of generally quite traditional Story, I mean, they don't change the story around much, but they do play around with it a lot. There's a lot of fun to be had here. This is a comedy version of
1: the story, of course, because you've got the Muppets. I mean, and got- Michael Caine's brilliant. A lot of his peers, hmm. they're talking like Anthony Hopkins. They would never do something like that, you know. Yeah, respect Or, him. or Sean he- Connery or someone like that. You'd never get them doing something like that. But Michael Caine, he he, he throws himself in hook, line and sinker, and he, do- he goes full on Scrooge.
0: Yeah, there's great scenes. I mean, there's little set pieces. It's a beautiful looking film. It really looks good. And there's lots of stuff with the sort of like the Muppet side characters, not the main ones, flying about in the background and stuff happening to them. And there's one where Gonzo gets gets his nephew or something and wipes the window with him (laughs) and things like that. There's just loads of good comedy in it. It is a rip-roaring yarn. It's an absolutely fantastically entertaining, light-hearted, heartwarming and to some degree traditional adaptation in other other yeah. not version of a great great story anyway i mean it's been told probably more times if you include all the um yeah plays and the shows and the tv adaptations as you said there's endless it's probably the most adapted story of all time i would think more or less yeah um pretty pretty much up there um and this is um it's a it was a timely one i think as well because we have yeah. really, that kind of fun version of the story
1: at that no. point. and they also i'm obviously british i have very british sensibilities and sometimes american adaptations of british work they they just take away some of the britishness and make it a bit americanified <laughs> um and that's great and that's brilliant and i love some of it and, and other, other times for something like a christmas carol I'm, I, I much prefer a kind of more authentic british version but i think this does even though being an american muppet film it does seem to kind of retain a kind of british yeah. sensibilities does that make sense yeah absolutely and they sort of almost it's not you, as we say saccharine sugary sweet yeah it's, you, it's fun you get, you get the sense that they're
0: almost playing off the britishness they're kind of like sucking up to the britishness in the way they're making it it's uh it's hugely fun hugely entertaining um i've seen it a number of times I didn't even need to see it to prep for this, because I knew I see it again, yeah, yeah it's going to sit in around about that that number in my chart because I had a pretty good idea of my top four um the fifth place was the only one I wasn't sure about, and a little bit of detail yeah i was i
1: was i was, I had a top four and then the fifth mm-hmm. one i was yeah. I was between two or three films, and then I yeah I went for Klaus, but I'm going to wager that we don't have the
0: same top four, one of them in my case is definitely um well, not say definitely, almost definitely, not in yours. Okay, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But anyway, yeah, that's my number four. Um, not much more to say about it other than to say if you haven't seen it, why? It's great fun. Enjoy it. This I think it's on, on terrestrial this uh, this year. Um yeah. cheap to buy on disc if you if you if you can't get hold of it or streaming, of course, as usual. Um, it's it's worthy
1: of. Oh, um, it is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's obviously streaming on Disney Plus, yeah. where I watched okay. it. So Phil, are
0: we do uh, your number four next? My it? number
1: four is Trading Places. Oh, <laughs> You'll ah, be surprised so. to know.
0: Marvellous. Well, not much more to say on that one. We've, we've just just yeah, a few minutes ago. Yeah. yeah, great film. I'm glad it's in your top five. I have to say, I was getting nervous because I said you normally do pop in where it is in your charts. Um, yeah. Once once it's been revealed on the other, but top. No, only
1: normally normally if it's the next one.
0: But yeah. That's true, yeah. Although technically this is the next one, but yes, because I started yeah. it was yeah. anyway, but yeah, I mean it's 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 a classic, isn't it? And um I think with, with films like that, you just ha I said you, the eighties there's lots of films through film history where you have to you have to take into account the era. Yeah. And you have to cringe at it, yeah, maybe, but also accept it for what it was. Um yeah. We wouldn't is, get a film made like
1: that now. So- never, the 80s was the only decade in, in the history of the universe that a film like that could get made. Yes. And a and, film like Coming to America and many other films that kind of came out around that point. And in a way, I don't want
0: there to be films like that anymore. I think that's that's part of its thing. It, it was great at the time. In.
1: That was the world that we lived in then, and now we live in a, di- a different, and i like to hope more inclusive world and uh, where we are. Do you want to move straight on? Should we do our threes before the break? I want. I, I need to grab another beer. I've got a thirst okay. on. I'm feeling right. festive.
0: We'll, so we'll grab another beer first. And then after that, we should do our number threes, twos, and ones. Of course, we've got plenty of correspondence. We'll be reading that out. And, yeah. and that will all be coming up in part two. So I'm just topped up with another one of the same beers. What have you got now, Phil?
1: Same. I'm on the uh, the meantime brewing, uh, and I'm on the anytime IPA, American IPA. Oh, lovely stuff! Yeah, very it's nice. All right. Yeah, very nice.
0: Very nice indeed. Now you've you've picked a film in your top five already that I've not seen. Now we've had correspondence from someone who's also highly recommending another film which I've not seen or indeed heard of. <laughs> so we'll come to that in a moment. But um yeah. we'll come to that later. I should say. Um, I'm wondering if there's any more. I doubt there is because I think we're getting into the real the real nitty gritty here. Now we're into our uh, threes. So at the moment, you've I've had trading places at five, and you've got Klaus
1: at five. Uh, my Muppet trading
0: place is at four. Or Muppet Christmas Carol for me at four. Um, so it's me to call out my number three next. And it's a film which I have absolutely no doubt is in your top five. I don't know whereabouts. I am going to guess it's at your number one, but we'll find out later. It is, of course, the one that is debatable for our friend Chris. It's Die Hard. No, I know I have, y- I have y-
1: a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho.
0: Yippee-ki-yay, melancholy? Yeah, money funsters. Like <laughs> um it's the 1988 classic bruce bruce um, willis of course there was a uh, there were sequels uh, spawned as a result later on down the line
1: yeah the die hard 2 is also a christmas film but then none of the other ones are
0: exactly correct i was just going to say that yeah so the, the first one 1988 is bruce willis at his early peak i suppose um who was uh who's playing a a new york and nypd cop who you is claim. John McLean, I mean, you know the name, you know that quote we did, did earlier on as well. Um, all of it is seminal, classic material. He's come from New York to um, to go to, uh, well, to spend time or to try to spend time with his family. He's become estranged from his wife called Holly, as you said earlier yeah. on, the Christmassy name, um, uh, because she's pursuing her career, which has taken her to L.A. He's still in New York uh, with a backlog of work for his job, of course. Uh, the kids are with her. Um, she's doing very well with a company that sh- seems to be Japanese-owned called the Nakatomi Corporation. Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, who are in Nakatomi Plaza with, I think it's called Nakatomi Tower as well, isn't it, the building? I think. Nakatomi uh, Plaza, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff, yeah. And um, she's she's there at a Christmas party. The rest of the building's shut down. The Christmas party um, is going on for the staff. So you've got the high flyers in there. And Bruce Willis turns up. He it's gets Christmas up. Eve. It's Christmas Eve. He's got a lift from a limousine driver who's a bit of a quirky side character. Yeah, oh, Doyle. <clears throat> Yeah, who's not really kind of like hit the heights. He should have done. He was pretty good. Maybe on un- a little bit, but he was kind was of good fun. So he goes to the tower, goes in, joins up with what's going on in the party, happens to be isolated. I don't the- know what
1: you're repeating. It's every single person who's listening to no, this just, knows yeah, exactly, exactly
0: what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, he's, he's out of the equation when shit happens. Terrorists come into the building, shut it down. Alan Rickman
1: enters. Alan Rickman.
0: Hans Gruber, the, the German Euro-terrorist. <laughs> Extraordinary. So Bruce is, uh, character...
1: possibly in the greatest five villains of all time, I would say. Oh
0: yeah, it's up it. there, isn't he? He's got to be up there. I think so. Um, so yeah. So Bruce Willis's ca- character, John McClane, is is in the background somewhere. They've taken over. He's renegade and loose. They don't know he's there at first, then they do as stuff unfolds, and he is uh, essentially fighting a one man battle against these terrorists, picking them yeah. off one by one or two by two, and uh, in the meantime, trying to alert the authorities, some buffoonish police eventually turn up on the scene. There's one sympathetic um, sort of, a, well, just a sergeant, I think, a black cop, who's a streetcar guy, um, who's uh, who's just about to go home for Christmas to his family. It's flagged yeah. up a family man, just as um, John McLean is. Um. And- He's the only sensible character. Just, in- what were you
1: talking about. I just want to go and watch it again. I watched it like last week. <laughs> it's like that episode of Friends, where they, I'm not really a really big fan, where they, all the guys watch by hard together and as soon as it finishes, they put it back on again.
0: Yeah, indeed. Rest in peace, Chandler, by the way. Anyway, but um, uh, yeah, so he's the sympathetic, the savvy, the only seemingly yeah. sensible cop in the equation. Even with the FBI, when they take over from the police, they seem to have a little bit of a heavy-handed approach and a bit of indisputable. Yeah uh properties to their personality. John McLean, of course, is very efficiently and very cleverly working his way through a scenario. Um to try yeah, he's, he's got a tally
1: of the number and there are and he's taking them out one by one. Yeah.
0: So there's I mean this is a, a fantastic action film, way before a lot of the action stuff that's f- classics that have followed. Um it's got a great character, as you said, it's got a great villain as well as a as a counterpoint. Yeah. Um, and it's got some great set pieces, some really good comedy, some really good fun lines in there as well. And uh it is just an all round It is, it's, it's a classic. I and think it's set over what, twenty four hours or so, so or less less than that. Yeah, well. it's one evening.
1: Um I think it came it is it is the result of a lot of happy accidents. Um I'm gonna give you the full history now because it's die hard and I love all this. So um <laughs> Yeah, so it was written by uh, the author, uh, well, the the screen, the, the, um, screen, the the author Roderick Thorpe wrote a book called Nothing Lasts Forever. Um, and then the screenplay was picked up by Jeb Stewart. Now, um, he had, he had the idea after watching, after having a dream, after watching The Towering Inferno. Yeah. Um, and the book actually had a predecessor called The Detective, which had already been made into a 1968 film starring Frank Sinatra. So apparently, allegedly, this is a sequel to a film that no one's heard of. Um, was, however, was given complete creative freedom, freedom um, to do whatever he wanted with it, as long as he retained Christmas in Los Angeles setting, because it's a Christmas film. The, uh, the, uh, the film was then, you know, in the 1980s picked when they used to have the pitch of what this film is, this was pitched as Rambo in an office building. Um, <laughs> John McTiernan was uh, t- uh, was kind of higher based on his success with the film Predator, an yeah. absolute classic. Um, and he he only agreed to do it if he could inject a bit of humour into it, because at that time, most kind of terrorist films were quite mean and nasty and quite nihilistic, and he wanted to make it more Christmassy because it's a Christmas film. <laughs> You see where I'm going with this? Oh uh, yeah um, <laughs> Contractually, they were obliged to offer the role to Frank Sinatra first um, because it was a, a kind of a sequel, although the character had a different name in the in the original. Um, he was in his 70s by now. He turned it down, and then it was offered to, in no particular order. Um, Sylvester Stallone, Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Paul Newman, James Caan, Al Pacino, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and they all said
0: no. <laughs> I think the worst of them would have been Schwarzenegger, actually, he, or they'd worked with TNF.
1: Yeah. So it's at great. that time, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Willis was doing the TV show Moonlighting, which which he was kind of contractually obliged to, so he was looking like he wasn't going to be able to do the film. Then Sybil Shepherd became pregnant, and they had a bit of a gap in schedules, which allowed him to do the the pre production for the film and start filming it. However, once she kind of came back, he was doing moonlighting at the day and Die Hard at night. So He's moonlighting from moonlighting in the evening. He was moonlighting from what moonlighting. Was so, I mean, it was only Willis's second feature film. Um at the time, it's less so now, but at the time there's a real clear distinction. You were either a film actor or you were a TV actor. Um you didn't really have the kind of those people that moved before it but it um, feels like Ghostbusters had showed that people could actually move from T V into film. Yeah. So Willis was kind of cast uh, based on his kind of more everyman persona. He wasn't a sort of Stallone or a Schwarzenegger Physically, which meant that he was kind of this everyman person that people could find it a lot easier to relate to, and there was also a much higher sense of fear and danger he could actually lose. He could—that's never going to happen to Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I think is one of the other other things about the film. um Alan Rickman, this is his first ever film, his debut. Yeah. Uh, he'd no been on Broadway. Uh, staring in a starring in a production, he's playing Valmont in uh, *Les Misérables*, and he was seen. And they said, All "Right, let's let's get this guy in." And you would never tell it because he owns this film. Let's be perfectly honest; he owns every film that he's on. But but he films it. Um, they brought Stephen E. De in. He rewrote the script because because he was like an action and comedy kind of guy. He actually kind of well because Bruce Willis was kind of very busy he was exhausted a lot of the time because he was doing another film at the same time it meant that he could focus a lot more of the script on alan rickman who was brilliant so it also it was almost like he's the protagonist and not john mcclain which is not something you saw very often in the film at that time but it also meant you got to have all the shots of his john mcclain's kids and the nanny and all of that kind of stuff normally that stuff doesn't go in the film but they had to kind of fill it up because bruce willis was just not around enough to kind of make it all which i think makes it a much more interesting film um, yeah so the filming took place uh almost entirely in and around fox plaza in century city um bruce willis he, despite working all day on moonlighting he had to do a lot of his own stunts uh alan rickman had to do one stunt which was the fall at the end yeah uh, he wasn't very happy about having to do it to the director, John McTeehan, and had to go, do it first and show, look, it's not that far. You only have to fall 50 feet <laughs> onto a padding. So they told Alan, right, one, two, three, and we're going to push you off and you can act being pushed off a building. And they went one, two, and they just pushed him. So it's <laughs> genuine surprise and fright that you see as he goes flying down at the end. Um uh, it was So the cinematographer, uh, Jan de Bont, who went on to become a director himself, there was yeah. no storyboarding for any of the action scenes in this. He kind of looked at what was in the building and looked at what happened when the explosions and the smoke and everything went off and just rearranged all the, vis- arranged all the visuals around like that. And it looked so slick and, and, and so well done. Um, believe it or not, the, you know, when the film came out, this is a film that at that time had no stars whatsoever. Um, yeah. It was set in one location. Um, with a TV actor and a play guy, been in plays. Um, expectations were very, very low. People thought it's going to get absolutely crucified by the two action films it went up against: uh, Schwarzenegger's Red Heat and uh, Clint Eastwood's The Deadpool. They were seen as the being, you know, the, the, the big action films of, the, of that particular year, which is mad when you when you kind of looking back on it now. Um, it ended up being the tenth highest-grossing film of 1988. And got very, very mixed reviews. Um, most people were not very nice about Bruce Willis. They were very nice about Alan Rickman, very nice about the direction. Less nice about Bruce Willis, which I think is pretty harsh. I think it's great. Is that that's probably
0: the whole TV to the film? Yeah, thing. I think there's it's a lot visual, of, sort of snobbery it? about yeah. it. Yeah, and I love Moonlighting, by the way. It's a great series. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely it's a real sort of savvy, right? sassy romantic comedy drama series it was uh it was on kind of like 10 o'clock in the evening and that sort of thing it was sort of one of them it was good it was great yeah. but that transition to film yeah you're right i mean he's that's the he, he's technically the lead role although as you said alan
1: rickman when the posters originally came out for it they wouldn't put bruce willis on any of the posting and his name was in really small lettering because yeah. they were really worried that people wouldn't go and see it because i think yeah. an action film with him why would we go and watch that uh, it's the seminar
0: the the actor with a with a with a vest a white vest or it starts off white but not for long yeah <laughs> you know, in that scene as you know, in the early scenes as well um, the the sort of like the side characters the the other villains the other uh, group. yeah they of, get a lot
1: more screen time than you would normally yeah. expect for them uh, which it, it, exactly. it, it changed action films a lot a it showed you could put a normal person in an action film um, it also um, meant you could have a proper nemesis you could have a proper clever baddie not just some sort of stupid henchman who they were up against it's kind of
0: isn't it it's like a bondian
1: it's yeah it set the kind of blueprint for the for the action films of the 90s where we got Hmm. die hard on a boat the siege die hard on a mountain cliffhanger (laughs) die hard on a bus speed die hard on an airplane air force one you know and that that's that's just off the top of my head um But yeah, I I I think it's Christmas. I, it's the sort of film I like to watch at Christmas. It's got that kind, of, it has that kind of Christmas sparkle and magic. There are cinemas showing it at the moment as a Christmas film. I know people feel quite strongly that it's not. That's cool. Hmm. I would rather watch this at Christmas than something that I truly despise, like Love Actually. So each <laughs> to their own. Oh, plot spoiler! That's not in your top. <laughs> <plot>. <laughs> I hate
0: Richard Curtis films <laughs> so much. I know, you may have mentioned this before, yeah. Mm. Um, yes, it's not Christmassy in theme or the way the, you know, the story's played out, but it is completely set
1: against... You Batman. see their fa- you see the family... It's kind of almost like a family film because you've got Al talking with his kids.
2: and Yeah. You've got
1: exactly. in the, the nanny with John McLean's kids. It's got that kind of... He's, he's there to sort of try and get back together with his yeah. wife, which it's they good do good. at the end. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And also, as you said, you've got the, the other throw-ins. They, they keep it... Christmas theme because as you said, they've they've decided to name the wife Holly. They've got the Run DMC song that you mentioned. Yeah. They've also got even there's another bit with um, I think it's either Winter Wonderland or Let It Snow where there's some dramatic action sequence going on and there's a, like a slight calm down moment and they put in these little Christmas strains to one of those two songs. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's Let It Snow, um, and you, you think oh what's that mean? Oh yeah, that's the Christmas music. Yeah. It's 80s action music,
1: but with that, that little... Um, yeah, Michael Cainman did the score. Yeah, it is, it's good. It's also, tenuously, but slightly, it can be argued that Die Hard is a remake of It's a Wonderful Life. Oof. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't just leave that hanging in the air. Off, is, <laughs> you, you, kind of, you think it through, you know. Hmm. It's, uh, this guy, he's a bit worried. He's got a he's lot lost of regrets. Found, he yeah. doesn't know what he's going to do then yeah. he gets shown how important he is to everybody. Well,
0: oh, it's a slight loose one, I think, actually, to be honest. <laughs> but I can see I can see where you're trying to come from. I don't know if you're coming from there or not, but, yeah, sort of, <laughs> sort of, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that whole notion of the value of the person and um, identity is played around with here, isn't it, as well, because um, Holly is, is using her maiden name, which is upsetting to yeah, people yeah. out and then um there's the whole notion of who is this guy that's running around causing our terrorist group these issues and you don't know who he is then you realize he's uh a cop but then you don't know anymore then you find out oh yes it's the wife of yeah uh so you think that um this kind of coke snuffing uh guy that works for the corporation is trying to get in with holly has is going to screw him over by revealing who he is that the husband he doesn't he just pretends he's his friend, tries to ingratiate himself with the terrorists and there's a whole scene around that yeah. then you do find out that um uh well sorry they they do find out who he is because the media get involved in yeah. it they try and do a human story for their own benefit and and that is how uh, her yeah. reaction to the Which kid whole screen being against yeah. Yeah, and then there's a photo that they can find, and the rest of it is goes on from there. But that whole notion about identity is played around with a bit, which is quite interesting as well. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's all round. It's it's a it's a movie classic in general. As far as Christmas goes, I think, yeah, you can always argue it either way. I'm happy yeah. to have it in there, which is why I put it in there, obviously. Yeah. I've got a suspicion you've got it in there as well, Phil, but we'll
1: find that... out a little later on. Yeah, so that's my number three. Excellent, excellent, excellent film. So, yeah, my number three is not Die Hard. Mm -hmm. My number three, I'm suspecting, is probably a film that you don't have. I've gone for Back to the 80s again. It's Gremlins.
0: Ah, yes, Gremlins. I love Gremlins.
1: Shortlisted,
0: but didn't make my five. No, yes.
1: So for those that don't know, a young man inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town and it's brilliant because this film has got everything it's got action it's got humour it's got tragedy it's it's very very underrated um, written by um, Christopher Columbus uh, who later became I mean he's got quite a bit of Christmas stuff going on he um, yeah. he His other films include, um, he uh, he directed Home Alone films. He did the first Harry Potter film. He did the Christmas Chronicles films with Kurt Russell. Um, Back at the beginning of his career, when he was first standing out, he wrote a script called Gremlins as a kind of spec script. Yeah. He didn't expect it to be made into a film. It was just a, here's a script I've written. This shows you that I can write and gets my foot in the door. It's not, it was never designed to actually be made into a film at all. Until Steven Spielberg saw it and he read it and thought, yeah, I need to make this film. I don't want to direct it. So who should I bring in? He originally was thinking he was going to bring in Tim Burton. At that time, we'd only actually done short films. Um, In the end, he brought in Joe Dante based on his uh, 1981 film, The Howling, um, which is quite a great film. Um, The original screenplay was much, much darker with... um, uh billy the the kind of the main guy in it um played by zach galligan um his mum gets decapitated in the script his dog gets eaten by the kremlins i think um uh, steven spielberg had quite a lot there's a lot of steven spielberg in, in the dna of this film i think he had quite a lot of it, it was a producer got involved in it they cast phoebe cates who was very famous at the time so i think she done his enrichment I yeah. maybe some other things. Um Zach galligan um he was only really cast because in a screen test he had really good chemistry with her I don't really think he made much in the way of it, apart from this and grimless too. I don't think he really did much more after that. Um the uh ubiquitous eighties staple Corey Feldman making his I think he's pretty much his screen debut. He'd only really done adverts at that time. Mm. But he was born in and it's just a, it's a, it's a proper proper Christmas film. It's got the setting. It's got the triumph over adversity. Um, I love it.
0: Yeah, great fun, and obviously the sequel as well, not the new batch or whatever it's called, is not bad as well. But yeah, the first one's definitely the better of the two. Um, and yeah, I mean the only the only thing is that there's the old adage, isn't there? This whole thing about don't feed them after midnight. Yeah. Exactly. Think, well, everything's after midnight once you have got to midnight. I know. Yeah. Uh, they probably mean the early hours or the dark hours after midnight or whatever, but it's good fun. It's a great. it's a classic of the, again of the eighties
1: um It is. I mean at that time they were horror and comedy were kind of increasingly getting merged. This actually yeah. came out in the summer, which is a bit weird for a Christmas film. It came out the same weekend as Ghostbusters. Yes. Believe it, yeah. or not. You it's would right. you would think now that they'd avoid each other in the scheduling or something mm-hmm. like that, but back in the uh, in the eighties, well, no.
0: How popular they perceived they might be, maybe one, one or both of them weren't that confident, who knows?
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so i'd I love to see footage of this so when they originally working out how they were going to do it they originally thought and i kid you not um they just, they were going to get monkeys dressed up as gremlins to play the gremlins <laughs> this was the original thinking until they tried to put gremlin masks on the monkeys and the monkeys funnily enough didn't like it very much Yeah, I
0: think they go Mm -hmm. straight and they'll start immediately grabbing the masks. At that point, they went
1: (laughs) down the puppetry route. Yes. Um, And I think they had all sorts of problems with the puppets because they had to have lots and lots of different ones. So, different levels of detail for, you know, um, sort of coming in close up shots, far away shots. You needed different levels of detail. You needed to be able to, you know, gizmo to be carried and put down and then be in the same place so they needed lots and lots and lots of different puppets with that i think they had all sorts of problems with the puppets but i think they look pretty good in this yeah. i mean if this film was made now it would all be cgi i don't think it would look as good
0: not as good no i don't think so so it's gremlins gizmos there was a lot of merch around this wasn't there i'm pretty sure there was a lot of
1: this was the this was
0: yeah particularly around gizmo
1: i mean even now um you you look at the mandalorian baby yoda Would there be a Baby Yoda if there wasn't a gizmo before? I sincerely doubt it. And (laughs) you can see that they've gone down the same way as Star Wars with the merchandising of that. But is a cute character. Let's see how much money we can make out of it.
0: Yeah, indeed. Um, Love it, yeah. Good choice. As I said, made my short list. Didn't quite make it. But I think the 80s is a a strong um, grounding for Christmas films, isn't it, actually? There's there's quite a few
1: in there. Yeah, yeah. I I was a kid, so it's going to be... But it was... um, uh, the fourth highest grossing film of the year behind Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So we're talking about a lot of the same people at the moment. What I love is, um, I, think I wasn't aware of this uh, at the time, um, comedian Howie Mandel, he did Gizmo's voice. So he had to do the bright lights, bright lights. He also had to do all the dubs. Yeah. So he had to do the bright lights in every language around the world and all of the other words that he the kind of little kind of words that gizmo could say he did a dubbing for the whole for the whole lot all the way around the world yeah (laughs) Whatever, whatever the equivalent of that was brilliant i think they used quite a lot of regional music and humor into each of the foreign language versions they put a lot of effort into that which meant it really really was a worldwide smash um it got a lot of mixed reviews um Parents weren't happy because I think it was kind of marketed as a kids' film. It's a pretty—I mean, there are some grim things happening in this mm-hmm. film. It's a violent film. Um, there's one particular speech that um, that Kate, uh, Phoebe Kate's character, says about why she doesn't like Christmas, which is kind of a bit of a classic scene, really, because her dad fell down the chimney and broke his neck and they smelt it but didn't know what it was for two days and where he was which is a horrible horrible thing but it really works the The, the studio execs really did not want to put that in Steven Spielberg really did not want to put that in but I think he basically said well you know it's um, it's it's Joe's gig so he gets to make the decisions on these things and it works really really well but there's Mm -hmm. some horrible stuff going on in this I can see why a lot of parents I mean would be upset taking their kids to see (laughs) it is my kids loved it but they they're teenagers we watched it we watched it they absolutely loved it they thought it was brilliant um it still stands out really really well now and perhaps in a way that some other 80s films don't (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think it's that steven spielberg input yeah 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 it's, it's a classic
0: and um yeah, no more to say on that. I think you've covered everything yeah. I would have said about that. Yeah, Jerry, uh,
1: Jerry Goldsmith did the score. He's got a cameo in it. And Steven Spielberg has a cameo in it as, as oh, well. They? really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if these films as well, do you
0: think they've, you, you can't make something quite so edgy that's in this category now? You can make films that are edgy, but they're yeah. the sort of like family films a little bit, but not. Quite. There's what was this a fifteen or a twelve? I can't remember now.
1: I think now. it would have been a fifteen at the time.
0: Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that isn't quite the case. But you know, a film that's kind of got a lot of edge for the, the, what what it's trying to go to yeah. is, like this. It's playing around a little bit, isn't it? But, interesting.
1: There's been talk over the years, much talk about there's a script about the Gremlins Three. Just don't do it. We don't. We don't need to. See it. Gremlins Two was fun. I enjoyed mm. it. I think that's also a Christmas film. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's all set within one one building and a diehard. Uh, it's it's not a classic, but it's it's entertaining. It's good fun. Yeah, I think just leave it where it is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, the number three Christmas film of all time for us. There
0: stuff. we go. There we go. Right. Okay, so we carry on, do we? Me number. Yes,
1: two? so back to you, two. is it number two then?
0: Yeah, so I alluded to the notion that there's one on my list that almost certainly isn't in yours. Um, I'm now pretty sure that's the case. Um, it's a film that I'm not sure, you may have seen it when you are Googling and looking around at stuff, you might not. Um, it is another 80s film, but not anything like the ones we've talked about so far. Um, it's a film called Fanny and Alexander, a Swedish film by Ingmar Bergman,
1: the great arty. I was going to say in I haven't seen it. No. Well, let me tell you about it, Phil. Yeah, and, fantastic. I've never, I've not watched a lot of Bergman. I've got to be perfectly no, honest.
0: I don't blame you because he's very artsy as a director. I mean, he's he's brilliant. He's seen as um, one of the, the, the one of the all time greats in terms of what he brings to the art of cinema. Yeah. In terms of me as a as a cinema goer, or in this case, I didn't see it at the cinema. As a small screen viewer, um, it's something my wife loved and wanted to see again, and showed me on the small screen. It's a 1982 film, uh, Fanny and Alexander, or Fanny Ock Alexander, to give it its original uh, wording. Um, it's a period drama. It's set primarily in 1907 uh, at Christmas time, on Christmas Eve. As you may know, most of Europe, it's Christmas Eve is the big thing that. People- yeah food and all the all the rest of it the main festivities almost are that day rather than christmas day so it's centred around there it's an affluent family of theatre owners and impres- impresarios the grandmother the sort of the matriarch of the family is a uh, a former actor who's now sort of just settled into retirement they're, they're wealthy they've got a huge house in the center of um was the Uppsala uh, area of Sweden um and the theatre's just down the road and they've got wealthy relatives and friends nearby and it starts with a scene with alexander who's one of the two siblings the, the kids um who is quite clearly uh, a youthful incarnation of the young ingmar bergman this is clearly okay a set of
2: bergman, yeah
0: where you can see he's got a very pictorial um uh, look on outlook on life he's got this miniature theatre kind of set, the ma- sort of homemade thing with a, you know, like a curtain at the front and man- marionettes and all little um, uh, paper figures and stuff like that. So the first scene is him looking through the archway of this. And then there's some other scenes where he's got this paraffin-fueled um, projection thing that shows still images on a wall, which he shows to his younger sibling and other cousins and stuff like that. So clearly you can see this is, this is the young Bergman. Impressionable artistic imaginative in terms of storytelling as well as uh what he does physically and he's he's essentially the primary character in the story fanny is pretty incidental really it's his sister but she's in it a lot but it's really about alexander aka yeah young and everything's seen through the prism of his eyes there's certain scenes that aren't he's not in but everything that's involving him you can see it seen through his eyes it's a beautifully shot film beautifully framed amazingly competent in terms of the way the, the beautiful colors it's very vibrant um it's a very colorful film you've got the lavishness of the house really is just shown off to its full um it's christmas time so all the decorations a big christmas tree yeah. uh, literally a banquet of food that's set out not only for the um for the family and their friends and, and relatives, but um, also for the servants. Even the servants' courses. they've got a massive, almost square-shaped table that are having a banquet of food as well. And it's a friendly, happy, vibrant environment. The grandmother, the matriarch, is, is, is widowed. She's clearly got a lover who, um, who I think she'd had an affair with when her husband was still alive, and apparently they became best friends. Yeah three of her sons um one of whom is the father of alexander of course um and then one who's hopelessly bad with money and the other one who's a flamboyant womanizer but also a very good actor and they all work in this in the theater so that's the whole background. Yeah. they're wealthy but they run this theater i think they used to be patrons and they used to fund it to fifty thousand krona kroner per year or something but now yeah. they're turning a profit so they're they're all right they know what they're doing yeah Except for the one who's shit with money. But Alexander's observing all of this. He's observing the flamboyant womanizing one, having an affair with the with the nanny, is his nanny, and all sorts of other stuff going on. The um his father is not well and actually dies in fairly early into the story. He has a well, very young um wife who's Alexander's mother, um, who then kind of goes off into another strand after the first hour of the story. And essentially, this film is set around Christmas for the first hour, and it it, it centres around well, more or less twenty four hours until the early hours on the Christmas morning. Lots are going on. You you see depictions of all these various different characters, and they're all quite colourful, interesting characters. There, yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot to unpack in the story. So it's a very richly detailed narrative and setup. And then after the first hour. It's no longer about Christmas because the story moves on, and you can see that quite evidently there's been some time jumps. And Alexander's mother, Fanny and Alexander's mother, has uh, has ended up marrying the bishop, who seems to be a bit of a lascivious character, yeah. and is also quite clearly an absolute piece of shit. Okay. Um, as the story goes on i won't go go into detail other than to say it's your typical austere scenario he likes living a simple life although he's got servants yeah but a austere place and that kind of thing he's very stern with the kids she's brought them into this environment there isn't a the notion of resentment by the kids as such but they clearly hate him and then the story then goes on from there there's other elements going on And what it has underlying it all is Alexander's perspective of the world. So he's got this impression of this amazingly lavish and lovable and expansive and intriguing world of his family life that he had before. You've then got this complete contrast, this austerity with his now stepfather, who's literally just called his uncle. He's not even called the stepfather. Yeah. um, And how they go through that scenario. And you can imagine the kind of scenes involved. Yeah. And then it it then tracks back to something that happens afterwards. I won't go into detail in case people want to see it. It's quite interesting. But there's so much detail in this film. It's a long film. Um, It's one of his later films, Bergman. I find a lot of his films, while I can appreciate the artistry, I find them almost unwatchably slow or dry. Okay. You can see they're brilliant, but they're also just not...
1: I'm a bit like that with Terrence Malick, I've got to be honest, Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's essentially why i've never warmed to bergman, uh, to bergman at all there's one other film wild, wild strawberries which i really like yeah one or two others i can appreciate the brilliance of but i've watched and haven't really minded but this is the only one i love i think it's great oh, brilliant. I, only, I only saw it once about 25 years ago and i watched it today literally today oh, fantastic um i thought it was going to be on my my number two i confirmed it was uh with with my viewing of it today I think it's so dense, densely rich, yeah. And it's got multi layers to it, and the acting is brilliant. The casting is brilliant. The intonations are great. The the stuff about the austerity with the with the stepfather. It's very easy to have made that very, ca- almost cartoonishly simplistic. But even there, yeah, it's multi layers to it. You know, he's not just an out and out horrible shit. He there, there's kind of a little bit more to it than that. And there's reasons why she's done what she's done. And there's all sorts of other elements to it. And it's got a humour, a really good humour underlying it. The characters are really larger than life, some of them. One of one of his uncles in particular. And um, I just think it's a master. It's, it's a master at the top of his game. Most people have said, well, Strawberries is his masterpiece and maybe yeah. one of his earlier things. I think this might be, actually, because for three hours, a three-hour film with no factored in interval in the original cinematic releases as far as I understand it. Um, The film doesn't drag and stuff like the Godfather and things before it's really difficult or really inappropriate to have a film that's that long. You have
1: to pace it right. Don't you? And that's a very difficult thing to do.
0: And it's quite a slow film. There's not much music in it there. there, I mean, there's diegetic music, you know, someone's playing a piano, there's, there's all that incidental bits in the background, but you know, it's very easy for this to have been very dry and extremely long-winded. I think if you're in the wrong mood for it, yeah, it can feel like that. But if yeah. you're in the right mood for it, if you're prepared for what's coming, I think it's a, a seminal piece of work. I think it's absolutely superb. Um, I think it's his, his best best work. Uh, he wrote it as well, by the way, as well yeah. as done it. Um, and uh, just to go through a bit, you know, I think it says, um, it, yeah, it was it – was, um, is intended to be his final picture before retiring because he would have been, I think he, if it is bi- biographically, he must have been born around about very late um, 19th century, probably the 18th, late 18th century. Yeah. So he would have been an old man already at that yeah. time. And his script is semi autobiographical. The characters, Alexander, Fanny, and the stepfather, Edvard, are based on himself, his sister, Margareta, and his father, Eric Bergman, respectively. Okay. So I think father rather than stepfather may be there. It says many of the scenes were filmed on location in Uppsala. The documentary film, The Making of Fanny and Alexander, was made simultaneously interesting. It's as if they knew there was worthy of notes. Um, With the feature on Chronicles, uh, its production, uh, which was originally conceived as a television miniseries, Um, given the running time, you can see the reason why they might have thought that. And it was cut in that version, spanning 312 minutes. One hundred and eighty-eight minute cut version was created later for cinematic release. So, oh, okay. um, which is um, obviously the uh, the version that we ended up seeing, pretty much, yeah. but slightly cut again. Um, and um, the television version has since been released as a complete film. Um, so there is a longer version which I've not seen. Both okay. versions have been shown in theaters or cinemas. However you want to call it yeah world. Um and the three hundred and twelve minute cut is one of the longest cinematic films in history. So there we go. Yeah, it sounds like it. What I would also say is I say the mastery of his craft, this the beautifully framed shots. I mean the the level of detail in the shot, the yeah. mise on scene to give it throwing some extra pretension here. Yeah. The French expression for um just the detail in the shot and all the composition of yeah. the shot. So many of them, they look like frames, works of art. And I love a film when you watch it and you think, yeah, this could be a picture on its own. Yeah. Shot. There's some great camera work as well, interestingly, which I hadn't remembered when I first saw it. Yeah. Some quite roving scenes. There's one scene where the matriarch, the grandma's um, uh, kind of muse, who she had the affair with and she's still fond of, is walking along a street outside. And you've just got a tracking shot, and they're, they're obviously on a dolly or something going along. From below and looking up, and it just creates a certain atmosphere about it. Lots of snow; it's very Christmassy kind yeah. of to it. That first hour, which I think is what makes the film that first hour. Um, and there's some sort of tracking shots. There's shots where it pans away from the camera; uh, the camera pans away from the action, and once or twice to kind of take away, take you away from the action, once or twice to reveal a wider group of people. Um, there's a scene where someone's sitting down reading at Christmas Eve. Um, some fairly mundane religious story, um, and you could see them all sitting around looking bored. But then yeah. that feeds into the next bit where you know he's lively and full of imagination and running about. And I just think it's a magnificent film. It's it's not a crowd pleaser, that's for sure, but I think it's worthy of in- oh, for okay. anybody wants to sit down and get their meat sort of get get their teeth into a a really meaty substanced film i think this is this is the one it's a fantastic story um lots of i mean the sort of stuff you've you've heard before you know going to the wicked stepfather or mother yeah not exactly surprising but even that there's a scene where they're first going she's first married them and then you there's a scene with the with her you know alexander's natural family all sitting in a room pondering oh this is not sure about this apparently the mother's okay but the sister's a real bitch and actually you, the first scene you see her in you start thinking oh yeah she's a real bitch but i'd already clocked the notion that this isn't as it seems yeah and as that
1: goes on you realize it's kind that, of an unreliable narrator thing yeah, yeah
0: she's not really a bitch she's just pandering to a certain scenario she's in yeah and she's not not wicked at heart the mother who they said was all right is is wicked uh, yeah. in other words the mother-in-law of alexander's mum um who not particularly anything ostensibly that happens but just there's one scene of punishments that goes on where you can just see her matter-of-factness actually tells you she's not doing anything cruel as such yeah. just um acting within a scenario for somebody else for the stepfather but she's just the her matter-of-factness her emotionlessness is why you can see she's quite cruel. So I like the way it's not predictable. It's not They're, they're not hackneyed characters. They're, they're all very rounded characters. And I think it makes for a wonderful film. And, yeah, again, defining what a Christmas film is, this is very much, very much about Christmas for an hour and then not about Christmas at all for the other two yeah. hours. So, do we count that? I think we probably do. A third yeah.
1: of the film's about Christmas. Yeah. There you go. There you go, yeah. No, well done. I'm not, yeah, I've got... I... I'd heard of the film, but, I, I, yeah, I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah. Um, only other thing I would mention, um, Bergman, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know him, uh, he was a Swedish filmmaker and theatre director, um, a, a real brainiac. He was widely considered to be one of the greatest and most influential film directors of all time, he's but there's sort of like six or seven famous European directors who yeah. in that category, and he's one of them. Woody Allen famously was an obsessive of Bergman, uh, probably for his his more inaccessible earlier black and white yeah. films most likely. Um, but his films have been described as Wikipedia says, as profoundly personal meditations into the myriad struggles facing the psych and the soul. Some of his most acclaimed works include The Seventh Seal. Seventh Seal, actually. yeah, with yeah. that Another song one.
1: with death, playing chess with death.
0: Yeah, that's the one that's seen as a masterpiece, was yeah. which incredibly is the same year as Seventh Seal, 1957, yeah. I believe. Uh, personal, uh, sorry, Persona, which is 66, and then Fanny and Alexander, which is 82. The other thing, uh, the final thing I'd say about... Um, or the final couple of things I'd say about this is that um, there's an air of magic about it as well. You you see things through the prism of Alexander, and he's got the this. Um, you, you see, a, there's a an ambiguity between what's real and what's not. There's a scene okay. where someone tries to uh, the, the the matriarch, the grandmother's uh, friend, tries to bust them out, and actually does bust them out of this uh, austere scenario because basically they're under the thumb completely. Yeah. Uh, patriarchal rule and everything else and there's a weird scene where another alternate reality is shown where they're lying apparently dead on the floor with the mother over them and it seems to seems to affect what happens in reality but it's clearly a yeah. scenario there's also a scene where he, he's then hiding with this um, grandmother's friend who is Jewish and you've got that whole notion and he's a Scrooge we talked about before yeah. this whole notion of the money lending Jewish guy who's seen as a bit abstract and a bit of a secret world. Alexander's placed in that world because he's hiding out there, and he meets the nephews of that guy. And one of them's a, a marionette, a maker and puppeteer. And uh, you've got this magical world and there's a magical scene in it. And then there's another scene with a strange character where what actually happens is imagined by them in, in one of the scenes. So it's it starts to get very ambiguous of what's real, yeah. what's in his imagination, what in his imagination might be firing reality to happen, you know, as if he's got almost like Carrie, the, the film Carrie. Yeah, he's having telekinesis, almost like that. And you also see scenes where the dad, dad who's died after the uh, the end of the Christmas stuff um, is coming back dressed purely in white as a sort of ghostly figure. Oh, and okay. sending certain scenes and acts on like yeah. him and his, his grandmother sees him at some point um so it's kind of like there's a magical quality as well which i think a adds an element to the film but also adds a, a kind of Christmassy element to yeah, the story. yeah
1: i could see that
0: you haven't seen that but it's worth checking out but you need to be in the right mood yeah thing i will say
1: fantastic Right, that's it, yeah. My my number two couldn't be more different. Is die Not and Alexander. It's Die Hard. Alexander. It's Die Hard. Die Hard,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> which, which means I'm pretty sure we've both got the same number one. See, I thought you had this at number one. Die yeah, hard. I couldn't bring myself to do that. No. In, the end, in, my, in my head, Die Hard is the superior film, but I have to admit from a Christmassy and quality point of view, then it's a number one. Wonderful Life is number one, isn't it?
0: Well, I was going with Home Alone three.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Of course, it's a Wonderful Life, the nineteen forty six. Absolutely, it can't
1: be anything else, can it?
0: Really, yeah. let's be honest. Anyone who hasn't got this at number one, probably, yeah. okay, admittedly, may not have seen it, which is a bit weird, anyway. But if they have, then fair enough. If you have seen it and it's not your number one, what's going on?
2: Yeah, it's, exactly.
0: it's so good. It's one of the greatest films of all time. There's a lot it of list in that category, yeah. but.
1: It's, it's it's still super- not as good as die hard but it is one of the greatest films of all time <laughs> <laughs> you've got it a number one Phil. You can't I have it before, you.
0: yeah it's of course the, the the absolute great that is jimmy stewart playing matriarch of a family who's been george uh, bailey george bailey who's want always wanted to travel he's always had um intrepid um, sensibilities but for one reason or another he's always had to stay at home and look after the family or develop the business or do whatever he had to do while his brother's gone off and other people have gone off and it's always been the bridesmaid and he yeah. becomes despondent about this and he becomes genuinely depressed Su- suicidal yeah suicidal
1: it gets very dark and this, so this is the first hour and a quarter of the film
0: yeah. is his life
1: which is not remotely christmassy this is not a two time. and a quarter hour film. The first hour and is, is time not time remotely time. Christmas. But the last yeah. hour of the film is about as Christmassy as you can get, really. So
0: Yeah. It really steps up the Christmas heat after yes. stepping up the dark, dark, and um, plunging into the depths of despair element it really does it this it is dark, dark. Yeah. everyone remembers it as a as a as a family feel-good film and then it's become almost a cliche to then do the no but it's quite dark comment yeah <laughs> do that It anime. is. It is yeah. really dark. he's depressed he's suicidal he he's he, yeah he is. He's, he's a about to throw he's
1: himself off a himself. bridge isn't he and then yeah his guardian angel comes along and it's kind of that christmas carol thing where it shows him well if you weren't about this is what life would be like
0: it is the American Christmas Carol, isn't it? There's very strong vibes and links to that film. I think, as you said, it, it shows him what things could be like without him. It's, it's almost yeah. the Christmas past, present, and future. Yeah, you've almost got. That it's only out.
1: really the yeah, the sort of present and future, isn't it? Present and future,
0: yeah. yeah. With with Clarence Oddbody, the uh yes. angel. Every time an angel rings a bell, uh, rings, rings a bell. A
1: bell, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, which is the classic quote. Um, you've got "Hello, your wonderful old Bedford Falls," and, and all that stuff. There's some classic quotes in there. Um, Clarence is brilliant. Another, I've forgotten his name, but another everywhere actor who's um, always playing those side roles really well. Yeah, um, it's got um, the the fantastic uh, patriarch of the Barrymore family, Lionel Barrymore, who's yes, it's Henry Potter. He's fantastically disgusting, isn't he, Mister Potter? He's um. He's um, a a sour-minded, sour-faced, ageing, rich, but the unbenevolent. You could say Ebenezer Scrooge. Lionel
1: Barrymore was cast in this role because he was famous for playing Scrooge in Radio Dramatisations of A Christmas Carol.
0: Yeah, exactly. Says it all, and he's great in it. He's great, yeah. He's he's horrible. Wooden wooden wheelchair he's around in, isn't he? And he's just cruelly unsympathetic. Um, so George Bailey's getting into some financial difficulties with his um, buildings.
1: Because he's, he's too nice, yeah,
0: he's too nice. So he's too benevolent, and they're actually struggling a bit. And that's the thing that probably precipitates his depression initially, isn't it? And then yeah. his reflections on life go on. From Everybody
1: there. relies on him to do everything for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, beautifully shot in black and white. Oh, yeah. um, Frank Capra. It's classic small town America, Frank Capra, as you said. there's there's some interesting shots in it. You might remember there's the freeze frame, which is extraordinary. But yeah, it,
1: to, I think it's it wasn't cafe. Martin Scorsese that invented it. Yeah, this was yeah. Quite a long time before that.
0: Yeah, I mean this is this is a film from 1946, and I'm not sure if there's freeze frames before. You've got A Matter of Life and Death and other stuff like that, but in this film, he just goes into a I think it's a cafe or a deli or something in his local town, and he's just in a normal scene, and it's just out the blue, completely yeah. unexpectedly, freeze frames, and then you hear this voiceover explaining stuff about George Bailey, your typical self-everywhere man. Yeah. And it goes off, and that's where the story starts to unravel. Uh, it's incredible, incredibly dark, but then incredibly heartwarming at the end. uplifting, um, yeah. It's the all-American story, isn't it, this? So, you yeah. know, family in the end, prevailing, people understanding their place in the world, people understanding they're valued. Um, the good guy
1: wins. Yeah, the bad guy does not
0: yeah exactly and um although you don't have you don't really have an ebenezer Scrooge uh, kind of like epiphany moment where he suddenly becomes good as such, you can see he kind of slightly just bends to seeing uh, okay, clearly this guy's yeah. going on it all really he 's a family man, and he if you know he almost falls in love with his family again at the end, doesn 't he? and yeah, and you get this scene where you get people from all over there 's quite a diverse range of people yeah in his house who all start giving money at the end to help him out yeah. of his actual immediate problem, which is the yeah. side of things showing benevolence at Christmas and all the rest of it um it's it 's an incredible film, mean, James Stewarts superb there 's a scene. When he's when he's in despair and he's, I think he's leaning up against something. He's got his hands yeah. on his face and he's sort of like twitch. His face is twitching and kind of slightly sweaty. And he's, you know, you can see a, a, the look of a man who's genuinely at the at his wit's end. Incredible acting. Oh, he's yeah. a brilliant actor, anyway. He is probably his finest performance. To be honest, I think so. Yeah, he's it's so, yeah. Hair. So yeah,
1: he's I, mean, it, it, I mean, I mean, this is the this is the the Christmas film, I think a lot a lot of people would agree on that. It was a huge flop release, mm-hmm. uh, which is yeah, no, mad yeah. when you think about it Famous now, films or, that flopped. This is another one. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I, I'll do, I've done this for every film, but I, I do like looking into the history. So oh, so the original story, uh, The Greatest Gift, was written by Philip Van Doren Stern and is rejected by, all of the publishers that he sent it to so in the end he thought well I'm going to publish it myself so he had it printed and sent out to family and friends for Christmas in 1943. Somehow Cary Grant ended up with a copy of the story and uh, RKO Pictures uh, bought the rights to uh, develop it as a uh, as, an, uh, as a Cary Grant film. Numerous drafts of the script were written by different screenwriters during which Grant got fed up and he went and made it off and made it Went off and made another Christmas film, Bishop's Wife. Um, Capra read the film, bought the rights from RKO, brought in new writers to work on the screenplay again, which meant that it caused no end of legal problems because so many people worked on this film, which you can't see in it, but so many did. And he decided, Capra, there's you know, there's only one person who could pull this off, and that's Jimmy Stewart. I previously worked with him on "You Can't Take It With You" and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which we we discussed when we did our screwball comedies.
0: We did a Henry yeah.
1: Fonda, Fonda was also considered, though he was uh, making My Darling Clementine with uh, John Ford. At it the
0: time. could have been good. It could have been good, but it feels
1: yeah. like most
0: films that are just amazing. You can't imagine anyone would with- know. As good as James Stewart, though. Mm. So
1: uh, his wife, Mary Hatch Bailey, played great. She's great, but Donna Reed in this—that was offered to Gene Arthur, Olivia De Havilland, Martha Scott, and Vora, and Ginger Rogers. Um, uh, so they all, all all turned all turned it down. Um, it was shot uh, in a studio at Culver City in California. The the set for this must have been fantastic because they built a whole. They built four. Um, Four acres of set for this. They built a whole of Bedford Falls, which covered three blo- city blocks, and 75 stores and buildings, a residential neighbourhood, which could alternate between the the normal one and the kind of alternate timeline one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, I mean, they they spent a lot of money on it. Um, although it's quite a long film for its time, it's about two hours ten something like that. Um, a lot of sequences were filmed and cut. There were alternative endings considered, um, but yeah, I mean, what the, the the cut they eventually turned in is fantastic. One other actor, just briefly to mention, uh, Uncle Billy's pet Jimmy the Raven also appeared in You Can't Take It With You and, and appeared in each subsequent Capra film.
0: Great bit of trivia, Phil. I love it. There you it. go. Love it. Fantastic. So you got
1: to remember. So when this film came out, um, it was right after World War Two, and there were a lot of similarly themed films coming in about the loss of family, the loss of loved ones. Um, that were all released at, at that at that kind of time. It was it, it and, was a. In the national and conscience.
0: One, one, of, one of the things about the, George's brother going off and adventuring while yeah. George stayed behind is he's become a war hero. and Yeah, come back yeah, exactly. To town, which must rankle with George in the story. Yeah. And that fitted the theme of the time, yeah. Yeah,
1: it went up against Miracle on 34th Street at the box office and won. There was still a massive flop. Um, and it remained a flop for years. And everyone kind of forgot about it until in the mid-70s, it came out of copyright. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's when people could show it for free. Yeah, and then everybody—it's from 1976 onwards—it's become like a, every every year it's shown.
0: It just shows you the studios and the money men really don't know what they're doing. They just no. hit on us by chance. The creative people they might employ might hit hit gold for them, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing whatsoever, do they? And that, that's just a typical example of of very many that we could pick
1: yeah but, i think um, uh, frank capra felt quite i think it hurt him when because he i think he was very proud of the film and when I mean, it didn't do as well as anticipated i think yeah. he felt it quite badly and i think he felt very much vindicated towards the end of his life when it became this kind of christmas classic he thought finally people realize it's a good it's a brilliant film and you you do you, I mean, he could have died before
0: that yeah. came out so I'm, I'm pretty pleased to hear that he he did at least experience that um uh, yeah, that era as well, it, it went against the grain, didn't it? Most of the films have just feel good. Look, we're okay, we're out of the war and let's try and be upbeat, almost propaganda-based yeah. stuff. And so I suppose something that has a character who's a hero in it, but the main character is someone who's going into despair, is not quite the vibe they were looking for. I guess no. that's what we're talking about here. But in the end... Do, do we need to be so black and white about things? Does if you're coming out of the war, do you every film you need to see have to be an upbeat film about this? Yeah, thing? no, exactly. In any era, in any year, in any moment, do you need every film to have the same? Yeah, to be on the same kind of profile. I don't. I think I want variation all the time. I yeah. Don't. Just when they start with with Pixar, when they started making Pixar and um, DreamWorks started making the same. Kind of theme all the time, didn't they? Yeah. In players, do you remember at one point? Marvel
1: were doing it. As well, like, Marvel yeah. as well. Yeah.
0: That's that's where the money men are just overthinking things and getting worried about rivalries and trying yeah. to match up against each other. Do the opposite. Do something different. And it's a wonderful life. Did that? It was. I don't know if it was brave or not. Whether he surprised how badly it was received or not, I don't know. But, no. but well, it It would
1: got Oscar nominations for best picture, best director. Best Actor, Best Editing, Best Sound Recording. And it only won for Best Technical Achievement because they came up with a new type of fake snow that was much better on screen than anything they'd had before. And that's all it won its Oscar for. Which well, you think Jimmy Stewart didn't win for this, was Travis travesty. Well,
0: exactly. Well, Titanic wins a plethora of awards. You know, yeah. That tells you how, that's why I hate the Oscars. This is a classic example. Is there a better film in 1946? Off the top of my head, I can't think which films were out there year. But I can assure you, there isn't yeah. one better, and I I doubt there's anyone any any that are as good.
1: Yeah, in 2002, Channel Four did a list of the hundred greatest films ever. It came in at number seven. Yeah, so, yeah, that shows you kind of how it's regarded. Um, I love the look of this film. Bedford Falls just yeah. looks incredible. Right. Um, there's a there's a there's a town in New York called Seneca Falls that mm. has decided that this is that they they are what is based on despite having no evidence whatsoever to (laughs) to this fact and so they have an it's a wonderful life festival every december and they've got an it's a wonderful life museum and it claims this we're the inspiration for it uh, but i mean
0: that is so cheeky that is
1: ridiculous
0: they must they must make a few quid out of it Even, even if he says oh it's based on that it's still a little bit of a weak link if there's no basis for it if no one's ever quoted that's what it was that's just taking the mic. Yeah. but you know, good luck to them, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Can I just say as well, Donna Reed, I think it's brilliant. She's kind of like, um, yeah, she's, she's sort of like a little bit like Ingrid Bergman. She's got that very handsome womanly look. And I think she's underrated as an actor. I think she's very good. Yeah. Um,
1: oh, she's great in this. Yeah, she's almost like... It's not a very showy role. She's just, you know, background for most of it. Yeah. But has to keep everything ticking over.
0: Yeah, it's not the greatest role, but she she, she really holds her own in it. And she's almost like the kind of like the American version of Celia Johnson, who's in Brief Encounter and and Holly in the Ivy, which I mentioned earlier, British film, um, where this sort of very handsome, very upright, upstanding character, solid morals, solid grounding, you know, a good family person or that sort of sensibility. Uh, I think she's great. I think She's underrated. She's not yeah. in many other films famously. Um, yeah. Jimmy Stewart, of course, is. But I think she's she holds it together as well, almost like the family, the matriarch of the family. She holds it together, doesn't she? Yeah. She's great in it as well, especially in that last scene where they all come together, the family comes together.
1: Yeah. Which is, I mean, not a dry eye in the house, is it? No, exactly. If you want to watch a proper Christmas film on Christmas Eve or whenever it is, yeah. This is this is the one. Make sure you watch the original version. There have been attempts to make colourised versions of this that um, Capra and Stuart absolutely despise and tried to stop being done. Because do not it's out, go there. Out of copyright. It should be People a do effect. stuff with it. You want to watch the original version. It should be a. I mean, effect. It's been adapted into various radio plays, stage shows, musicals, remakes sequels have been mooted thankfully not made um because the rights to it are, are very complicated because yeah. of the number of screenwriters originally involved in it despite being out of copyright i'm not quite sure how that works but <laughs> it, it, it is the christmas classic yeah so much so even beast yeah uh,
0: yeah i mean for for you to choose a christmas themed action film uh sorry <laughs> over a christmas themed action yeah. film is saying something phil yeah On that note, should we break for part two? And in part, yeah, I'll get another beer. Honorable mentions and correspondence, and you'll get another beer. Well, I'll carry on with my wine that I'm now on. Cheers! Cheers. And so to part three, where we're just going to have further reflections, uh, honourable mentions and some correspondence, Phil. Uh, Are you still on the same beers, by the way? No. So
1: um, when we did the 70s one recently, I tried for the first time the Vault City Triple Fruited Mango Sour and one of their other ones. I've developed a bit of an addiction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's my new favorite they're my new favorite brewery get me tested uh, yeah. they're fa- um, I, I have drunk a lot of their of, they've got various different um, sours if you like sours the vault city I very much recommend um, they're excellent mm. no I, I know them and I I've like- been I've been them on, on the nearly daily in like as part of my December diet
0: yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, I'm glad your diet's going well, Phil. I, I need to take <laughs> up that diet as well. Right. So yeah, well, I've, in my life, I've, I've gone into film here and there. I've, I've worked in a video shop. A guy came in and inspired me to watch a load of films. Uh, he got me into Scorsese and loads of other stuff besides. Um, I've had other people that have inspired me about film. But on the TV... You'd watch Barry Norman year after year. Oh, yeah.
1: Film, Film, whatever year, year was. Film
0: 84, film 85, whatever it might be. And he had a book which he published, The Late Great Barry. It's called Barry Norman, 100 Best Films of the Century. And in it, it includes It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. i just got to read this out. It's a fairly short summary of the film. Uh, It's in his 100. And he says, interestingly to start with, he says, this is the film that people either love or hate. Hmm, interesting. I was everyone sure.
1: loved
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it said, depending on your point of view, it's an unashamed testament to the innate goodness of humanity, or alternatively, it's sentimental goo. Cynics take the latter view, and I'm sorry for them. James Stewart is the small-town philanthropist whose loan company has gone bust and who is saved from suicide by an elderly angel, Henry Travers. That's the name of the guy I was trying yeah. to who is desperately trying to earn his wings. He's a he's a yeah, an old guy but a a, a new apprentice, yeah. actually. A Stuart wishes he had never been born. Travers shows shows him what a hellhole his hometown would have become without him. Because he's such a staple of the society, he says Capra is splendidly in control of his material throughout. Of course, such a story of supernatural intervention in the affairs of man could easily have tumbled into sentimentality or worse, but it never does. An occasional unexpected hard edge, steward training, uh, training furiously illogically against his own family, for example, for instance makes a timely appearance to cut the sweetness. Capra's belief in the values of small-town America shines through, but he never turns an entirely unblinkered gaze upon them. Greed is the villain of the piece, and there's at least a tacit acknowledgement that greed is one of the less desirable byproducts of the American dream. So the warm emotion of the film is tempered by some of the social consciousness that the director brought to Mr. Deeds Goes to Town and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a wonderful life, is certainly simplistic and if you like naive, but the doggedly optimistic message of the title as put across by both director and cast with such conviction uh as to be irresistible I think I think he's, he's doing it yeah. down, actually I think it's it's a greater film than that, even, but he clearly loves it anyway, and I think it is about the American dream, isn't it? It's about. Being, being an all-American hero, and, and the all-American hero not necessarily being a war hero, it could be just the guy who just stoically does his thing in small town Looking after everybody. Yeah. How so, did, when
1: you saw this film for the first time, how did you come to it? Do you know much about it in advance?
0: Do you know what? I saw it, I think, for the first time, I think, was when I was working at Harbour Light Cinema in Southampton and I saw it on the big screen. There was It was a Christmas release, obviously. Mm. Uh, I think in the first year I was working there, so that would have been 96 or 97. So I hadn't seen it until my late 20s. Yeah. And it blew me away. I just thought, this is just incredible. It's a brilliant film. Obviously, it's the best way to see any film first time, which is intended for the cinema.
2: Yeah.
0: Big screen. And yeah, I've never seen it on a big screen. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's brilliant. And I saw it because I was working in a cinema where you were actually required to be in the in one of the screens. Uh, we had two cinema screens, and you had there were two members of staff. One had to be in each screen, and a third one had to be outside to monitor yeah. the and deal with latecomers and all that stuff. So I got to see it about six or seven times in quick succession. Yeah, I didn't get bored of it. I didn't get bored no. of it. I found new stuff to see every time I watched it, more details. I am famously bad at remembering narrative detail. So Fanny and Alexander, for example, which my wife loves and put me on to, I've forgotten major, major narrative detail in that film until I watched it again today. Yeah. Well, with this film, I saw it over and over again. And obviously, it's ingrained in my memory. Obviously, that I, I don't forget the detail when I've seen it that many times. Yeah. Um, but the fact I could see it seven times in four weeks, probably yeah. three, four weeks, and not get bored of it is probably another unintended testament to how good it is.
1: Yeah. So I came to it very in quite a strange way. So in my early mid teens, I was an enormous fan um, of the show Red Dwarf. Yeah, and they and they released a series of novelizations, um of sort of of of, of, of this, that didn't really match what was going on the TV series. But a load of books came out written by the guys that wrote the TV series. But one of the books is all about how um, Lister, uh, one of the one of the characters, um, they can't get hold of this sort of VR software better than life that's almost become like a drug so people dial into this and they just spend their whole time in this because it's in this in this kind of virtual reality world where you can choose what world you want to go into and th- to the detriment that you forget you're in it and you just live there and your kind of body falls to, falls away you know and you start becoming ill and everything and in his, in his virtual reality you know better than life he, moved, he was in Bedford Falls on Christmas Eve that's so I read all about this whole novel and I heard all about how great this is, the greatest favourite film and this is favourite film and it's the greatest film ever before I came to see it. So when I came to see it, it obviously been built up quite a lot. And for a kind of teenage guy to watch a black and white film that was made 30 years before he was born. I was kind of expecting it to, to be underwhelmed, and I absolutely loved it. It actually lived up to the hype, which doesn't yeah. happen very, very, very often. because no, that's what, usually the, the curse, isn't it, of a good
0: film? Someone watches it, loves it, recommends it, waxes lyrical about it before you've seen it, and yeah. then can it, can it possibly live up to the hype? No, exactly. You won't. No, I've just thought there that that's a good subject for another future episode, actually. Films that have an interesting backdrop to how you came to love them yeah so yeah you know, something along those lines we'll have to work yeah. on the wording but i think there's something in that actually Phil, i think that might be a good idea yeah yeah might not be too bad um so yeah i mean it's our number one both of us and i think it's, it's everyone's number one it should be it should be but we'll it is, find out shortly well, let me read out. We'll do some honourable mentions in a minute. But can I read out a few uh, yeah, correspondence? In fact, the first one isn't technically correspondence. It's from my wife, who she's gone for, she's put The Night of the Hunter at number five, because she, she acknowledges it's not okay. really a Christmas film. But because it's got a particular Christmas uh
1: scene in it and because it is a stunningly amazing film it's brilliant it's- we've it- spoken about it quite a lot but it, yeah but we've never come up but we've spoken about it in passing at charles lawton
0: yeah
1: one way or the other we'll we'll end up having it in yeah. our top fives at some point she's put it
0: at number five number four she's put something we've not mentioned yet i'm sure it would get yeah more mentions anyway a nightmare before christmas Yeah, see, I
1: kind of see that as more of a Halloween film than a
0: Christmas film. Yeah, yes, I thought you might say that. And yeah, it's got a lot of Christmas stuff in it. You've got Sandy Claus in it. You know, he's a sinister Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Don't get me wrong. She's got The Muppet Christmas Carol at number three. Excellent. Her top two are the same as mine. Fanny and Alexander, followed by number one, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I've got a friend of mine, James Chigsbury, who lives in Hove. Hello, James, if you're listening. Hello. He says, he will rush Russ, my top five plus two runners-up. Okay. Who said you have seven choices, James?
1: As long no. as they're not Love Actually, that's no problem.
0: Well, it does contain Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually. <laughs> right, here we go. He said, Christmas movies. I'm sure this list could change in an instant and positions interchangeable. But here you have it. He's gone for, by the way, the, the number seven was Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. And the number six was Gremlins. He yeah. went. For, his number five was The Santa Claus 1994. Yep. I can't remember that one too much. Number four is Love Actually. That's
1: a, that's a Tim Allen one, isn't it? The Santa
0: Claus. Yeah, I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Love Actually at Four. Oh, um, God. This I just want to Stop it. Leave it. <laughs> number three. This is the other one that's. Um, I'd not heard of. Oh, yeah. I've heard of it, but i have not seen it. Uh, it's called the man who invented Christmas. Have you seen that?
1: Yeah, that's quite a recent one, I think.
0: I think so. I don't know what it. I don't know what it is or who's
1: in it. But yeah, um, I think yeah, yeah, I think I watched that with my kids a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, but he's now now you can tell he's our age and he's he's a man of the '80s uh, in my case. Um, he's gone for trading places at number two. And he's gone for a film that we've not really talked about much yet, so it was going to come in honourable mentions, Home Alone. He's gone for that as his number one, which is fair enough. Yeah. You know? it's, it's very Christmassy. No, no objections. Home to Alone
1: is Chris Columbus. It's got Joe Pesci in it. It's...
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, let's quickly talk, while I get other correspondence up, let's talk about that one, actually, because obviously, very ostensibly a Christmas film, it's about a family. It's quite the antithesis of the the family coming together at Christmas. It's literally the family forget a member of their family and go on holiday for Christmas. So it
1: is, yeah, 1990, wasn't it, Macaulay Culkin?
0: Yep. He has to deal with two... Bizarrely persistent burglars, like disproportionately yeah. persistent burglars. Why on earth would they spend that, that much time trying to get into a house that is occupied? It's mental. It's like a war film almost, isn't it? Yeah. Sense. Um, I'll be honest.
1: I saw it, where it when it came out. Yeah. I haven't seen it in the 33 years since. I, probably, I, think... I didn't go back and rewatch this one, I'll be perfectly honest. Or, it, it, or it... any of the sequels. For there's, me, there's three of them, isn't there? I think.
0: Yeah, there's three in the end. Yeah, it is Tom and Jerry. It's mm. cartoonish. It's it's very one or two dimensional. There's not a great deal of substance to it. Um, I remember that um, who was it? I think it was uh, Alex Brooker who is on the last leg and stuff like that. It's yeah. just like a sable guy, he's a comedian, and he he went. He's apparently a massive fan of Home Alone. He went over to the states, spoke to some people involved in the filming or something to do with behind the scenes. And um, they they actually, they went with some scientists and said, right, if um, if this kid did this, that and the other, what would happen? Most of them would have been instantly fatal. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, I, I saw something similar in an article, on Die Hard once, with, with John McRane <laughs> yes. saying, if someone really ran ag- over this amount of glass and went through a window at this speed, what would You'd happen to them? You'd die of loss yeah, of blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's a famous scene where... Suspended with Max this... realises, yeah. he remembers he's got bare feet and says, shoot the glass. Mm. It's a great scene, isn't it? It's a great scene. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Home Alone, I mean, it's enjoyable and it's fun, it's 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 but it, it's quite simplistic. For me, that's why it was nowhere near my top five with the end. Yeah, the it's called, not a
1: film that I've... From, there are certain films from the 80s and uh, late 80, the 80s and 90s I've gone back and watched with my kids that they've learned to love as much as I have. You know, Gremlins being an example, Bill and Ted films being an example, I've never felt the urge to watch Home Alone with my kids. Yeah, Maybe I should have. Well,
0: we've got Nick from Manchester, or Rochdale to be precise. He's given us his top fives. Only two of them are on either of our top fives. Number five, Love Actually, bit sickly, that's an understatement, but gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling at the end. Maybe for you, Nick, not for us. Yeah. Number four. Now <laughs> I'm this glad
1: is you a, enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm very happy Nick, for you. Glad
0: you enjoyed
1: I never it. i to sit through it in the cinema. Yeah, Number
0: yeah. four. Now this is a whole different category of Christmas film, okay. films that aren't actually set at or about Christmas. A film that's just on at Christmas. We didn't follow this criteria. Nick's gone with. It. Otherwise, <laughs>
1: it would all be James Bond films.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and Star Wars or something. Nick, Nick's yeah. gone with his own criteria. He said. The Great Escape, always mm. on at Christmas, and it's utterly fantastic. Great film, Steve McQueen, and he's right. It is always on we, a Christmas. We spoke about Christmas. that on—is
1: it the '60s theme tunes or yeah, or, something
0: like yeah, that? I can't yeah. Remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, we did, yeah. Um, and I have to say, there's a lot of films. This is a whole different ball game. Films that are constantly on a Christmas. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Bond. I can understand that. Mary Poppins, Sound of Music, um, Great Escape. I'd, I'd say the
1: first harry potter film yeah harry potter but yeah Willy wonka it's um, got that kind of they've all got that christmas feel Yep. Cheeky, the, the most bang, recent bang. wonka film that's just come out with timothy's chalamet that i watched two days ago at the cinema Like kids has got a christmassy feel to it but there's nothing ah. christmassy about it
0: right okay and we may or may not talk about that when we do our films of the year we'll see anyway he's gone for yeah great so he's gone for love actually at five great escape at four the Muppets version of Scrooge, obviously a Muppets yeah. Christmas Carol. He says, brilliant. And Michael Caine plays it. Absolutely straight. Yeah. Film. I agree. He's right. And that, that yeah. makes it, Yeah. Yeah. You need to have the straight man for the comedy. Yeah. And then he's gone for, it's a wonderful life at number two, number one, a film we've not mentioned yet.
1: Elf. He says, without doubt, the greatest. It, Christmas it movie good. ever.
0: It is good.
1: Um, I I be honest I I'd never seen Elf until last week, yeah. And I watched it, um, and it's very cheesy, and it's very predictable, but it enough made me laugh in some place. There's some real laugh out loud moments. It is it is fun. There's a reason a lot of people love it, and it's shown at cinemas again at, at Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. It is a proper Christmas film, and it's got something for kids and for adults. Yeah, and it's and there are. Genuinely funny, funny moments in it.
0: Well, here's some more correspondence as well. Let's get these out of the way as well. So Ian Davis from Central Portsmouth has said, so far I've watched Lethal Weapon, Bad Santa, Bad Santa 2, currently working my way through my favourite Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. There you go. His list also includes, he says, Die Hard 2,
1: Christmas Vacation. That's the national Yeah, uh, that is quite fun. It's not so... The first two National Lampoon films are genuine classics. Mm. I can quote them all the time. I, the, the Christmas Vacation, I don't think is a classic, but it is genuinely quite funny. It yeah. is, has some really good moments on it.
0: In places, yeah. He's also gone for Deck the Halls, The Muppets Christmas Carol. He says, more than five I know, but you can pick the bones out of that lot um john orchards who we know from southwick hello john west sussex hello john he's gone he hasn't listed the order but i'm going to read it as he's posted it he said it's a wonderful life the snowman well we're not including shorts but yeah fine yeah. edward scissorhands again you know debatable yeah. you include it in bruges the same a nightmare before christmas yeah 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 chris um who is the chris that hates including die hard in our yeah. top fives that's okay. what you chris has got back to me he's only got four films oh no three films actually but let's read them out okay it's a wonderful life scrooged and nightmare before christmas
1: it must be die hard one and two with the other two of his top five yeah <laughs> yes yeah exactly chris you that's exactly what we're we're assuming yeah, yeah. for. yeah
0: and uh that's no, it. But
1: g- very good choices
0: yeah, some, some good stuff in there. And I mean, it is what
1: you want it to be, yeah. isn't it? My my uh, my eldest daughter, Freya, gave me her top five. Yep. At number five, she had love, actually. At number four, she had um, Nativity. She's a fan of all three Nativity films. If you have never seen those, they're an English series of films. The fourth one had um, the decline, declining quality with each one. So the, fir- the first one, which is her favourite, had Martin Freeman as the main guy in it. The second one had David Tennant as the as the main guy in it. And the third one had Martin Clunes as the main guy in it. Make of that what you will. Her number three is Let It Snow, which is a fairly recent romantic commentary, uh, comedy. Uh her number two is Gremlins. Well no, for her. and her number one is Muppet's Christmas Carol. Yeah. All good. All good. Right. Honourable mentions, then, unless you've got any further. I think we've gone through the vast majority. of I've, I've been ticking them all off my list. The only other Christmas film that I really enjoyed that has, we haven't mentioned yet is, is that there is a film called A Christmas Story from 1983, which is great. Ah. That would be in my top 10. I remember seeing it at the time. and It's a bit weird. It's a bit strange kind of comment. It's a kind of more of a coming of age Christmas film. The bizarrely got a sequel quite recently that I haven't seen, about thirty something years after the original. But that's great. It, it, it's it's a weird, a kind of quirky coming of age Christmas film, but if, uh, from nineteen eighty three. I think everything else on my list I've kind of gone through and uh, and ticked off.
0: Yeah, well, I've got a few more to mention. Um, I've already mentioned *A Christmas Carol*, the conventional version. Uh, with Alistair Sim made, made number six in my particular chart. I'm sure
1: Patrick Stewart's done one at some point, hasn't he? I think he has, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I've seen Mark Gate Well, I was supposed to see Mark Gatiss, uh, in A Christmas Carol at Alexandra Palace, and yeah. he phoned, he phoned in ill for it Christmas Eve last year. Gutted, gutted. He would Oh, playing. no. It's got the guy who's in Chariots of Fire. I, forget, I always forget his name. Really good actor. He plays... Scrooge in it. Uh but uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, there we go. A few more. I mentioned the Holly and the Ivy, which is the Denham Elliott as a younger guy. Solid story. Miracle on thirty fourth street. I mean, if we're talking about it's one Yeah,
1: that that came very close to that. It was between that that and Class, the original
0: one. It's as Christmassy as you get, isn't it? The original nineteen forty seven. There was the It's a really
1: nice concept as well. It's it's a kind of courtroom drama about the real Father Christmas. Yeah. Claiming his father Christmas. Yeah, and mean, saying he can't be. Essentially,
0: yeah. The, yeah, the story is there's a guy who applies to be Father Christmas at Macy's in New York, and um, he he so, he starts claiming he's the real Santa, and obviously they've got
1: a lot of advertising out of that Macy's. They yeah, was,
0: exactly. So no, nothing doing initially, and eventually after oh, after time, it must have been a case of hang yeah. on a minute.
1: This is um, let's this make is, a, a remake with Richard Attenborough to kind of you know refresh it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Attenborough, Attenborough remade it and nineteen
1: ninety-four was the remake, yeah.
0: The the uh, original is far better, to be honest with yeah. you. Uh Chris Kringle and that it's brilliant. There's a brilliant scene where they said, Well, let's have a look at his employment record. Uh, his uh, his um employment. Yeah. And they look at it and it says Chris Kringle somewhere in the north or something like north that. North pole, yeah. He's yeah, got it's just, used
1: references as a list of reindeer.
0: Yeah. Next of Kin is Comet and Cupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is brilliant it's a great film it it is one of the most definitive christmas films i think it's a wonderful life miracle on 34th street all of the christmas Carol stuff obviously and uh, those are the most christmasy films apart from the other stuff that we haven't mentioned but we've got to really white christmas which of course has the famous song white christmas in it but it's not from that film it's from holiday inn an oh, film. I haven't seen White Christmas. So White Christmas is basically a film that's based around the song, which had already been a hit from Holiday Inn. Yeah. So they said, let's make another film. The Hitchcock film? No, no, no. no. Holiday Inn is Jamaica uh... Inn, sorry. Yeah, that's Jamaica three Inn. Three beers in there, sorry. You really threw me off there for a moment. Um, yeah. Holiday Inn is, I think it's Judy Garland, I can't remember I haven't now. seen
1: that either, sorry. And
0: that's where the song first turns up. Yeah. Of course, it's then, it then becomes a hit. And then because it's a hit, the studio executives decide, well, let's make a film around this hit. So they make White Christmas, which is about uh, a guy who's gone to some awkward territory. Uh, I, th- I think he's like a Navy officer or something. And all of the people on his ship have decided they're all going to muck together and help him put on this show at Christmas for some reason, featuring that song uh, and helping out of a financial crisis. Unrealistic, ridiculous, very, very one-dimensional story. Yeah, Overly blown, overly lit, overly coloured, not the greatest film. It's a classic song, but Holiday Inn is where it came from. So yeah, that's okay Miracle on 34th Street we mentioned. mentioned. Um, there's three other films I've got to mention, though, Phil, and I'm sure you know and are aware of them. I think you did mention The Bishop's Wife.
1: Yeah, Carrie Graal.
0: Christmas background story. Yeah. Not, not Christmassy enough for me. Very good film. Cary Grant, we'll talk about him when we do Cary Grant later. I love Cary Grant.
1: But if, you, if you're if you bored over this particular Christmas and you're in England and you have ITVX, then Archie is uh, on there, which is a biopic, four-episode biopic with Jason Isaacs absolutely nailing him. It's not amazingly brilliant, but it's well worth a watch. Jason Isaacs is so good. As Archie. Archie Leach. Archie Leach. Okay. It's his, complete, his whole life. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it, I loved it. Similarly, so, uh, yeah. And talking about Jimmy
0: Stewart, The Shop Around the Corner is a really, really good film as well. 1940. So, the two films I mentioned that the 40s films that didn't make mm. it was, was that one and this one. The Shop Around the Corner, great film. It's set in Hungary in Budapest. Uh, it's about two correspondents to a, uh, well, a burgeoning romance between two pen pals, if you want to call it that. And it turns out they're actually working together, but they don't realise they're working together. And then there's some shenanigans of some plot scenarios occur. Won't bore you with the details. Yeah, watch it. It's a great film, 1940, The Shop Around the Corner. I it's a famous no. film, but it's set in in Hungary. Yeah. Really, really good film. And Phil, I'm surprised you've not mentioned it before. Uh, let's think of Finland.
1: Oh, but well, rare exports. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's quite good fun. I wouldn't call it a classic, but it's interesting and it's fun. My wife loves it. She said it nearly made her top five.
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, it's weird and it's. Uh, oh yeah, I can see that. Psycho Santas, isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, great film. I mean, you've you mentioned some horror films, and you've mentioned all the films that made every year. I've not yet seen the film. There that
1: Recorded. There are a few horror Christmas horror films, yeah. I'm going to watch Violent Night over the Christmas period. So that, that that's, yeah, so that's by Tommy Vercolo, who's one of my favourite new directors, who did a fantastic film that's on Netflix called, is it The Trip? I think that it's called something like that. That was came out a couple of years ago. He He's famous for making the dead snow. Oh, is that
0: the films. one where there's the a couple who are... Uh... Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. And he's got... um hopper from stranger things it's all right it's not amazing um if you want a christmas zombie film anna in the apocalypse is it's all right it's not brilliant if you if want, you a, kind want of, a christmas zombie
0: film if, it's, it's, it's hard, those words.
1: if you want a kind of more, another kind of more traditional christmas horror there is krampus from a few years ago it's all right yeah. just about yeah. it's kind of entertaining a little bit different um, i've been watching all sorts of christmas films over the last couple of weeks if you fancy a bit of a bizarre japanese anime um with a kind of vaguely christmas theme set at christmas then there is tokyo godfathers which is a kind of a very very strange film but um it's quite interesting i wouldn't say i would go out and say watch it now but it is it, different <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's quite fun this current Christmas, I have not yet managed to catch up on the um, Silent Night, which is the, the new John Woo film. Uh, yeah, which is that uh, I haven't managed to catch that one yet. But that
0: uh, that's on good. Sky Cinema, I think, at the moment. Oh, okay. It's yeah, the with Joel Kinnaman one. in uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Any more? Any more to add? Oh, to I think that's
1: pretty much my
0: list done. Yep, that's the correspondence done as well. Uh, so there there, there it is. So we've got a number five trading
1: place. I had Klaus. Number four, number four I, had, I had trading places.
0: And what did I have at four? I can't remember now. I've deleted my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, number three, I had Die Hard. And I had Gremlins. Number two, I had Fanny and Alexander. And I had Die Hard. And at number one, we both had "It's a Wonderful Life," and it is a wonderful life, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Watching you, you have What's Muppet's the- Christmas Carol. is the one that you missed.
0: Oh yeah, the Muppet's Christmas Carol. That's number four. Yeah, we- yeah. yeah. Um, so a, a good selection there. There's plenty more besides. I need to check out Klaus. If any of you have not list, uh not watched either of our cho- our fives. Well, any of our ten. Choices, Everyone's
1: seen Die Hard, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Please do. Let us know your thoughts on the future episodes. We're doing next up, Phil, films of 2023. 2023,
1: yeah. Yeah, that should be interesting.
0: This is cinematically released as in the UK in 2023. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're doing next, uh, which will be in the next month or so. Uh, in the meantime, Phil, I
1: think that that, runs, that sums it yeah. all up, doesn't it? Thank if you, you for it. everyone that sent in correspondence and a yeah. merry, merry Christmas to everyone. Best of
0: cheer to you and lay off the eggnog. It's horrible stuff. What the hell were they thinking of? Just that beer. It's all about beer, wine, whiskey, brandy, sherry, gin, cocktails, uh, Rose, beers, yeah. whatever you champagne, whatever you Baileys. want. But not eggnog. Do not yeah, do it. Well, It's a crime against humanity. (laughs) And (laughs) on that note, but also one, one, one final thing. If you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook as well, aren't we? But also we're on at film fives, at film Fives one, all of that stuff on social media.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Get in touch. If you
1: want to give us your opinions on your films of 2023, we will looking forward to that. I'm suspecting we're going to have vastly different lists. We always do for the uh, end of year
0: ones. We do. We do. And I've seen a hilariously large number of films and yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, in fact, because of that, I think I'm pretty sure it's gonna be a different list, isn't it? Yeah. Look forward to it. Can't wait. Until next time, Phil. Thank you for joining Cheers. us. Everybody. And uh that's the end of the episode. So
2: cut